after I got back from Iraq, um, it was an 11th month deployment. We were in Ramadi, Iraq. Um, I had lost a lot of my, my good friends in, in, in combat. And I realized that it was, uh, it was something that I, I, I enjoyed. I always wanted to do the military, the rifleman thing, but I didn't enjoy losing friends. And I realized from that moment on that if I can go back and do it all over again and just join the military and not go to combat and still be able to keep my friends, um, from dying, then I would do that all over again. I realized that combat was glorified and it was not always what Hollywood painted, you know, combat to be. It was really, it was really bloody. It's and not it was, a video game. It's not a video game. It's serious. You can go to combat and not come back. And you know, that's what happens. You go to combat and not everyone comes back. So I realized that, you know, if I want to continue to live and to continue to, I had dreams and I wanted to live my dreams. It wasn't going to be in the military and it wasn't going to be in the infantry. Um, at that time I realized that, okay, I need to finish my term. I need to do what I need to do to get out with an honorable discharge and go to college and see where the future, see where the future is going to take me. However, at the same time, um, I, I loved what I did. I loved the I, I loved the Marine Corps. I loved being an infantryman. I loved being a rifleman. Welcome to the Transition Drill Podcast. Joining me for episode 104 is Nick Velez. Nick knew from a young age he was going to go in the military. He enlisted in the Marine Corps in 2005, right out of high school. He then deployed to Ramadi, Iraq in 2006 at the height of the Iraq War. That time in Iraq changed him, and though when he went in he was thinking a career, he got out in 2009 when his enlistment ended. Since getting out, Nick and his best friend and fellow Marine Calvin Spencer opened Bastard's Canteen Restaurant and Bar. The restaurant's name is a nod to the time they served in 2nd Battalion 4th Marines, the Magnificent Bastards, and is a place that honors all veterans. Nick has also started the nonprofit Save the Brave as a way to give back and help the veteran community. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen. Here's episode 104. That's good stuff, and I think you're, you're in the right track. A lot of, uh, a lot of us need that type of uh, podcast to listen to and say, hey, we're not alone. A lot of us are going through the same shit that you are. So if this guy can do it, because I, I see myself in him, then I can do it, right? There's different walks of path. Everyone comes from different backgrounds. Um, you know, I'm first generation Mexican American coming from to I'm the first to join the military in my family, first joined the Marine Corps, served in the infantry, you know, spent 11 months in combat in Ramadi, and that changed my life. And um, I've always been proud to be an American, but after coming back from, from overseas, it really opened up my eyes to, you know, as cliche as it sounds, freedom isn't free. And not everyone, not everyone understands that. There's a lot of sacrifice that goes along with it, right? From time spent overseas to time spent training to your brothers that never made it back. However, when you come back, you can either just talk about it or you can be about it. And I'm all about being about it. So my nonprofit, Save the Brave and Bastards, are not only a representation of, of what I think every Marine or every, 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 every American should be striving for, which is country, God, country, court, right? <laughs> That's what they teach us, right? So I believe that 
it's something that my family has taught me an entire life. I just didn't never really paid attention until I got until I left the military. I'm like, wait a minute, my family's been teaching me this my entire life. You know, God, country, family, <laughs> right? Understanding where you come from, having love for for God, and at the same time having love for your family. And it's the same thing in the Marine Corps, same thing in your family. So if you can express yourself that way through your business and through your nonprofit and giving back, then I feel that we can help a lot of people. And as you help people, it helps you, you know, and we can talk a little bit about that and how nonprofit helps me and helps keep me alive. Oh, I definitely want to want to talk about it yeah. all, but you hit something that I think is really important. And, and I put, put it in my shoes yeah. of first generation. So I'm first generation Italian in this country. My dad wasn't born here. He came here. And it's that mentality that we were brought up with that the reason why we came here is this is a great country and you do everything you can for this country. Absolutely. And so I I think, unfortunately, the the benefits of that are as more generations go by and they get more of the American experience and they start taking it for granted. And I think it's that that first generation always kind of carries more of that burden of the importance of what it took for our family to get here and now what we need to give back. Oh yeah. And if you look at, you know, our, our parents, they probably worked twice as hard as we did Mm -hmm. just to give us that, 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 that dream they always wanted and that future, that that the life that they always wanted to live. Right. It's funny how that works. I'm like, man, these people that come from other countries, why do they outwork us? (laughs) Why do they work harder than us? What it's, it's, it's not because they have a better work ethic. It's because where they came from, they didn't have the opportunities that we have here. That's exactly it. That's and it. they, and they, they appreciate, <laughs> they appreciate what we have here. Yeah. Um, I yeah. think for, for a lot of people, maybe they should actually experience another country oh other than the God. United States to truly understand. Yeah. You know, they, you make the joke first world problems. There are yeah. a lot of people who get wrapped up in problems that are not problems. If you were outside the United States, there are people living in other countries going, can I please have what you think is a problem? Mm -hmm. Because I can show you a real problem right outside my front door. Absolutely. Before we go deeper in this, do you want headsets or not? Uh, It doesn't matter. It's up to you. It's your call. What do you like? Do you like the look with the headsets? I go with the headsets only because it allows you to hear your voice in the microphone. If you want to hear it. That's cool. New York. Is that where your family's from? Yeah. My dad came to, so my dad came from Italy, landed in New York, typical. I love Cali. As much. I, I used to live uh, after the Marine Corps. I moved up to uh, Seattle area. I thought I was never going to come back. I love Seattle. Well, pull that mic just a little bit closer. There we go. Yeah, good. Closer. Yeah, it was, it's it's a beautiful city, but it's changed a lot in the last 10 years. Definitely not what it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> they've let it change, unfortunately. Right. They, they've let yeah. the, and, and I'm not saying minority in the sense of a lower class of people. They've let a minority voice make changes mm-hmm. that they're reaping the negative aspects of similar to San Francisco. Same. I, I honestly, I do honestly believe in my heart though, that all of these areas that have seen this decrease in being a good place or a nice place are going to come back. I think San Francisco is going to come back. I do believe Seattle's going to come back. We're just in a phase right now. Yeah. We're going to look back five years, 10 years, whatever it is and go, Oh yeah, that was just a, a blip. Like the sixties, right? Yeah. That's exactly it. And not that anything bad came out of the sixties. It was just a change Mm -hmm. change happened. There were, there was the other side that resisted it. And then you eventually just kind of melded together and keep moving forward. Yeah. Revitalization. And you take, 
what you learn, take the pros, remove the cons and just keep moving forward into a better place to live. Exactly. Right. Or we hope. <laughs> You've already mentioned your first generation here. So where's hometown? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Southern California, Los Angeles area, East Los Angeles. Um, I grew up in East LA, Boyle Heights, uh, throughout my entire life. Um, from there moved a lot. My dad was in the real estate business. So we were constantly moving. I, I'm a product of LA, <laughs> but yeah, mostly uh, East Los Angeles area. What got your dad into the real estate business? Um, you know, coming to this country from having nothing, he's from a small town in um, Jalisco, Guadalajara, is a down in Southern Mexico. Um, you know, he came to this country and not having much and, and he had role models in life where he saw that real estate agents didn't really need to have a, a four-year degree, um, uh, a simple certification uh, test, and you can get, you know, into the streets and start working. Um, and that's kind of, you know, he has a beautiful story of his own that I don't want to uh, mess that up at all. However, what he did and what, it, what he's told me is that through the work of real estate, he's realized that he can live his, you know, the American dream um, with a little bit of hard work. Um, and door knocking, you can, you can really get to, to, to live in, in the life that you want. And you already know, uh, real estate agents, if you work hard, you're going to be able to live with famine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, with that, um, you know, he started his real estate career when I was maybe one, two years old at the time. Um, we're jumping around living, you know, from East LA to South Central, Compton. I lived everywhere. Um, I mean, my mom has a joke, you know, for the first four years, you lived off beans and rice, <laughs> right? I'm like, doesn't every Mexican mom? But, but yeah, you know, it, it, it was true. We struggled in the first couple of years, but uh, my dad kept pushing, pushing, pushing. And my parents work ethic to this day, they're in their sixties and they can outwork me. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it's not just, um, you know, his, the, the career path he chose as a real estate agent is his work ethic. You know, as as um, as a Mexican American, he he's, he knows more about American politics than than Mexico. But he's he's huge on 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 us understanding the opportunities that we have in this country. Right. And you know, we we're our worst enemy ourselves. So we have to be able to get in front of that and just push through the kill zone and continue to 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 live a happy life. Was your dad moving your family a lot because was he, was he flipping before flipping was popular and you were constantly upgrading as you were moving? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Uh, you hit it on the nail. <laughs> he was, you know, he just, he, he, he's an opportunist. He saw an opportunity. Um, and my mom, or, you know, I, I call her, she's, she's, she's a writer. She, she's like, whatever, you know, how women used to be right. <laughs> right? Um, where, you know, whatever my husband says, I'm going to believe in him a hundred percent. And if he feels that it's good for my family and our family, I'm going to move forward with it. Um, so my dad found so many opportunities as a young, you know, 23, 24 year old real estate agent buying his first home, you know, within six months of being in the business. Um, he realized that he can make a lot of money on flips and from flips to investments. Um, and constantly from one house, you know, we were there for living in one house and in, in South Central LA for six months. And from there, we moved on to, to, to Compton from there to Huntington Park, from Huntington Park to Maywood to, to Southgate now. And then we ended up in Downey. So after all the, all the homes, uh, that I lived in, we ended up in Downey and, um, now we're in Temecula, California where 
<laughs> where it's where it's nice and beautiful and the sun sets. <laughs> Except right. when trying to get in or out of this city with all the traffic. With all the traffic, right? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 growing at a fast pace. It is. It's growing at a very fast pace, but it, it's a beautiful place to live. I can't complain. We bought a home here in Wine Country area, five acre home, and um, you know, I I love my family. I'm I'm you know, being Mexican American, we have a really close time. Sure. You know, Italian Americans too. Your, your, your family is everything. Yes. You know, family first is one thing that my family always preached to me. Family first, family first, no matter what family comes first. So as you grow older, you realize that, you know, when you're young, 21, you know, your mid twenties, you're just trying to be away. You're trying to get away from your family. You want to go <laughs> as far as you can from where your family is at. Right. You know, I go to college. Where's my parents? Where do they live in LA? All right. I'm going to Seattle. <laughs> I left the Marine. I you know, joined the Marine Corps, get away from your family. Right. You're always trying to get away from them. But as you grow older, you realize that, you know, life is short. Life is very short and you need to take care of those around you. And the only way to take care of those around you is by having them near, arm, you. near you in an arm reach away. So. With that said, you know, um, my parents, you know, sold their homes in, in LA and the Downey area and we're all one big happy family here in Temecula now. Brothers, sisters? Brothers, sisters. I have a younger brother, an older sister. Sister, um, uh, my younger brother is a musician. Uh, he's huge in producing. He's been in acting. He grew up in LA. Everyone right. in LA is an actor, <laughs> right? Yeah, so he grew up in LA. We all grew up acting, and but he just took it to another level. He was he was huge on on voiceovers and commercials, and he's he does a lot of that now. Now he's um, he's managing our orange farm. <laughs> we we bought a five hundred tree orange farm, and uh, here in Temecula now he's he's he, we call him the agriculture engineer <laughs> just because you know he's he's found a new love for that and that, that's type of his that, that's his persona he's he gets into something he dives right into it and my older sister she's uh she's the uh, i would say the the golden child <laughs> she's she's an amazing bright young lady uh i would say young but she's you know beats me she's older by maybe about two three years so she's about 38 years old now she still looks younger than she you. still looks younger than me beautiful young lady three kids beautiful kids she's married um, living, you know, another American dream. Um, she's a senior HR for a big corporate, um, a market, um, here in Southern California, she's constantly traveling and she's, uh, you know, I've always tried to win up her and I, I, I can never do that <laughs> <laughs> no matter what I do. She always just, you know, keeps jumping ahead of the, of the race and I'm super proud of her. And then your pops will look back and go, you guys still have a lot of catching up to do. Both a lot of, a lot of catching you. up. And, <laughs> and you know, I, I failed to mention one person and the person that sticks us together is my mother. You know, she's the glue, you know, she's the anchor, right? She's, you know, I, I look at, I talk about hard work and I say, Hey, yeah, my dad's a hard work. You know, his, his, his work is amazing. He's up at zero five every day, but my mom, dude, she's just doesn't stop. She doesn't stop. You know, they, they're constantly, you know, that's, my mom is my dad's accountant. My mom is my dad's, you know, your mom is your dad's reason for his success, reason for his success, because she allowed him to focus on his mission while she took care of the troops back home. Yep. Right. I, I, and you, to tie that back in, you said previously back when women, but there, there are a lot of people who think of it derogatory, like, Oh, you just were a stay at home yeah. wife or, but really when you look at it, Every man who's successful out there is successful because he's got the right people in his corner. And for a lot of men, it's that right woman, that right wife who says, go conquer. I'll be here taking care of the house. Yeah. And that's, that, I mean, 
that's that's life that's business that's uh that's the military that's law enforcement it's the team that you have back home the team that you have at headquarters taking care of the admin yep taking care of the you know the bullets the beans the bandages right taking care of that important stuff that's going to make sure that the troops out in the battlefield i.e marines i.e my father are making sure that the mission is accomplished with everything he needs in order to get back home and have that troop welfare and understand that we care about him and we care and appreciate his hard work. So my mother to this day is just gun ho. I, I tell her to this day, I said, mom, you would have made an amazing Marine. <laughs> she would have made an amazing Marine and her plan, you know, she came to this country when she was maybe in first, second, yeah, first grade. And her plan was to join the Navy and she was pregnant. She got pregnant with by my, you know, by my dad, they had my sister and she, her dreams kind of shifted into, okay, now I'm a, now I'm a mother. Now I got to take care of my, my daughter. So, you know, I, again, I, I, I live, you know, she lives vicariously through me. So she, they all supported my, my path in the military. And, um, I, I thank them every day. They're my biggest supporters. Um, I wouldn't be able to be where I'm at today if it wasn't for their help. So your mom actually wanted to serve when oh, yeah. she was a kid growing up. Oh yeah. She wanted to serve. She wanted to serve in the Navy. Um, that was her plan after graduating high school. She wanted to join the U.S. Navy, um, but at that time, um, you know, her and my dad were, were were in love. They were young, and my sister came along and kind of changed her course of of of, of her path. Uh, but again, that never that never really pushed her away from um, from you know. When I was a kid, I've always wanted to join the military. Since I was a kid, I always said, "Yeah, I, I want to join. I want to join. I want to join." They never said, "Oh, that's a bad thing to do," or "You should be looking into a." To a law enforcement career you should be looking into uh you know being a lawyer or a doctor never that my parents just were whatever you want to do just be great at it you know just give it 110 percent. so if you want to join the military just be great at what you do right um so they they've supported us they supported us and in, in all our dreams and they continue to support us other than your mom talking about wanting to serve did you have anybody else in your family who was actually active or had had served no one. No, I'm the first in my family to join the military. Um, for a long time, I wanted to join the army. Right? I remember I had a sixth grade teacher, uh, Mr. Pelvis. He was an airborne army ranger. Talk about the army every day in math class. <laughs> I think it was seventh grade, sixth or seventh grade. He would, yeah, he was my uh, my math teacher, and he would talk about the army. And all I wanted to do was join the army. Join the army. Yeah, I want to join the army. I want to be a U.S. Army Ranger, right? Because that's all you see on TV, right? Right. Um, then in, in ninth grade, ninth going to yeah ninth the summer of ninth grade going to my sophomore year, I um I was um had an opportunity to join a program called the Devil Pup Program. It's out in Camp Pendleton. It's a two week program. It's a it's a mini boot camp right. ran by Marines for civilians for kids to. I mean, some kids are there because they got in trouble and some kids are there because their parents just wanted to get away for the weekend to a cool <laughs> summer camp, break. <laughs> right? But, you know, that, that, that being there for two weeks was just, to me, it was, it was the best two weeks I ever spent in my life as a kid. I was learning how to march. I was learning about rifles. I was learning, you know, rank structure, you know, waking up in the morning and you're, you're for two weeks, you're living at school of imagery and it's here in camp Pendleton. So you're in school of imagery. You're seeing all these older Marines at the time, you know, they look like their grandfathers, you know, I'm <laughs> nine, 10, I'm maybe, maybe 15 years old at the time. So they're all like maybe 19, 20 year old 
men, but to me, they're just so much older and they're right. doing amazing things. And I'm like, wow, I'm getting up at zero five in the morning, just like them. And they're putting on their packs and they're getting ready for, for, for a ruck, uh, for a hump or whatever they're doing. Right. For a, a hike or going to the field. And I'm looking at them like, wow, I want to do what they're doing. And I go to chow and I come back and, you know, they're out there training, you know, um, weapons maintenance, you know, disinassing their, 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 their machine guns, putting them back together. And I remember coming back from that two week course, uh, the devil pup course and talking to my dad and saying, dad, you know, I know I wanted to join the army, but what do you think about the Marines? And he said, well, the Marines are the best. <laughs> I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, yeah. They're air, land and sea. They do it all. I'm like, yeah, dad, but I always wanted to join the army. He's like, well, you can do whatever you like. Again, my dad just supporting whatever I wanted to do. Right. right. I'm like, yeah, dad, but. If you had a choice, where would you go? He goes, well, the Marine Corps. And that was it. That was it. I wanted to join the Marine Corps. Flash forward to, that was about 2000, 2001. Actually, that was 2001. The Twin Towers had just fallen. So you were still in high school? I was school still in high school. I was, in, I was, I was a sophomore. Um, Twin Towers had just fallen. And at that time, I'm like, well, I want to join the Marine Corps. Can I go now? It's like, well, you got to go talk to a recruiter. I remember we had a recruiter at our high school. I went to Woodrow Wilson High School in El Sereno. All right. So Wilson High School, there was high recruitment of, of, of uh, Marines every year. I remember there was about 10, 20 Marines that would come back after graduating class, after boot camp. They come back in their, in their, in their Chucks and their Charlies. And they just, they come to the football games and we see them and they had all the girls with them, <laughs> of course. Right. I'm like, damn, that's cool. I want, I want to do it. I want to be that guy one day. Right. So, you know, I, I was like, well, you know, tomorrow when I get to school, I'm going to go talk to the recruiter. So I went, I saw the recruiter at lunchtime and I walked with the, to the recruiter said, Hey, uh, it was staff Sergeant Casillas at the time. Staff Sergeant Casillas. Hey, um, I'm Nick Velez. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a sophomore right now and, um, I want to join the Marine Corps. Can I join? They will hold her. You He's like, um, I think I was about 15, 15 and a half. Goes, You're too young. I said, what do you mean? I'm too young. Can I just go now? And like, you know, go to boot camp now. And then when after I've, I, I graduated my, uh, my high school diploma, then I can go to, you know, to be a Marine. He's like, no, it doesn't work that way. He goes, you need to graduate high school first. He goes, then you go to boot camp, Then you could go be a Marine. I'm like, oh man. I'm like, well, what do I need to do? How can I enlist now? He goes, well, when you're 17 and a half, you can come over to my office and I'll sign you up. I'm like, all right, great. In the meantime, I would show up to all their, they call it pulley functions where they go and they work out with all the Marines or all the, all the, all the, um, all the pulleys that are about to join the Marine Corps. Right. So these guys are all either they're in high school or they're civilians that are, are what we call it in. So they have a date to go to boot camp. Right. So with that said, I would go and I would train with them. I would run with them. I would PT with them. And you know, from 15 and a half to 17 and a half years old, all I want to do is join the Marine Corps. I want to join the Marine Corps. So I remember my birthday, you know, that was February 1st. And I was like, okay, mom, it's time for me to go enlist in the Marine Corps now. And they're like, well, you're serious about this. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm serious. I want to go. I want to join. So that Monday, that Monday morning, um, I, you know, I'm on my way to school. I told my parents, I said, Hey, can you meet me at the recruiter's office tonight? Uh, the recruiter's going to pick me up from high school, from school after school. He's going to take me to his office and we're going to sign the dotted line. I'm like, okay, if that's what you want to do. We'll be there. So at 17 and a half, my parents, met me at the recruiter station and the only, the only downfall about the, about signing up or the only, I would say type of, uh, 
conflict that I ran into with my parents was my MOS. They didn't want me to choose an, a combat MOS. I was an infantryman. I wanted to choose infantry. I, I remember walking into the recruiter's office and, you know, him telling me what do I want to do when I, when I joined the Marine Corps. I'm like, I want to do what that guy does. And it was the old picture. I don't know if you remember the Marine coming up from the water and he had like face paint. He had face paint. He had the robe, you know, around his, around his chest. And he just looked like a badass, right? I'm like, I want to do what that guy's doing. My recruiter's like, well, that's recon. That's a recon Marine. If you want to be a recon Marine, he goes, you got to join the infantry first. Not necessarily, but you know, whatever. <laughs> they got to hit their quotas. So right. you're, you're like, all right, well, that's what I'm doing. I'm joining the Marine Corps. I'm joining the infantry. I'm, I want to be a rifleman. So yeah, my parents were just, are you sure you want to do that? They were just kept asking me that same day, that same day. Like, are you sure you want to choose that job? I'm like, no, I want, I'm sure. I'm hundred percent sure. That's what do I you think do. they're wanting you to do something other than infantry was because of how kinetic war was now post 9-11? Well, that's exactly why it was 2004 at the time. That was the height of the Iraq war. That was during Fallujah. That was, that was when everything was kicking off. You know, it was, it was, it was a bloody war at that time. So, I mean, you know, back then you can turn on CNN and Fox News, right? That's what you right. did. Everyone was watching CNN and Fox News. How many people died today? How many, you know, how many firefights were there? How many Marines or how many soldiers were injured today? Right? Every day there was something new going on. It was our era of the Vietnam War all right. over again, right? Um, so them just constantly knowing what was going on, being a lot older than, than me, knowing what happens in war and me being naive and young 17 and a half year old kid that just wanted to get into the fight and wanted to do my part for my country. I knew what I wanted to get into, but to me it was just at that age, it was a, it was a video game. It wasn't real. It, it didn't really, it just seemed like, yeah, I, that's what everyone does. That's, that's what you need to do. You just go to combat and you'll come back. You'll, you'll be all right. It doesn't really work that way. Uh, but yeah, they, they, they knew that that wasn't, they knew there was other opportunities in the military. However, I didn't want to listen. I didn't right. care at the time. I said, you know what? I'm joining the infantry. I want to be a rifleman. If you don't sign here, you're not supporting me in my path, mom, dad, please. So they signed away. I said, here, you belong to the Marine Corps now. <laughs> so you graduated 2004? 2005. 2005. Yeah. And how soon after were you in boot camp? Oh, man, less than three weeks. So straight in. Straight in. Straight in. I, knew, I mean, if I could have gone a week after, I would have. They didn't have a slot open. So I, I, went, uh, I went to boot camp July 24th, 2005. And your plan going in, were you thinking long-term, do a career, or was it, let me get through this enlistment and then I'll decide from there? Uh, at that age, I want to say that I was thinking of, uh, of the Marine Corps as a career. I, I didn't, you see, when I joined the Marine Corps, I didn't know that you got paid. I didn't know you got a paycheck every two weeks. I just wanted to join. I wanted to get away from my family. I wanted to join, go in the military. I want to do my part for my country. I wanted to go to go to war. I wanted to see combat. That's what I wanted at that age. I didn't care for a paycheck. I just thought that I just wanted the experience, right? So when I joined, I said, well, you actually get a paycheck? Cool. Well, that's <laughs> awesome. Like they set me up my first bank account. Right? I remember Pacific Marine. Everyone had a, had, a, had a bank account and they signed us up. And every two weeks I was getting paid. I, it, was, it was amazing. Um, but as you join, as you, as you get into the military life and you realize what the military life is all about, and it's in, especially in the Marine Corps, it's very difficult to, to excel um, depends on your MOS, but in the infantry, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. It's, it's, it's not easy work. 
And after a couple of deployments, you realize that, um, you know, if I deploy again, it might, it might be my last deployment. So you better pick or choose, you know, you pick and choose your battles. So I, I realized that it, it was, uh, it was something that I had had to experience in order to grow. Um, I visited a lot of countries on my second deployment. I got to train and, um, and do like a, a what we call a marine expeditionary unit, a MU, where we train with um, other militaries, other branches of, of the UN, and and we train with them, and and just it's it's an amazing experience that for me it, I needed that experience in order to grow. I needed to understand that there was more to life than just LA, than just Southern California, um, and I would say that 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 experience made me the man I am today, but. To answer your question, at that age, I did. I felt like uh, the Marine Corps was going to be a career for me. Yeah. So first deployment was, when, by what year were you um, in Iraq? So 2006, um, by uh, September of 2006, I was in Iraq. And coming back from that deployment, were you still thinking like, man, this will work? Well, you well how soon did how soon did the thought process start creeping in of like, eh, let well, me get let me get through this enlistment and maybe it's time for me to exit. Yeah, you see, as in the Marine Corps, um, you know, I excelled as a as a squad leader in boot camp. I went into school of infantry. I was I was the the guide, you know, the one that carries a flag. And I've always been, you know, the small guy, but <laughs> the guy who wanted I had something to prove. I always had something to prove. I always wanted to be the fastest. I always wanted to be the strongest. I always wanted to keep pushing forward, right? I always wanted to wanted to prove everyone wrong, right? I wanted to carry the heaviest weapon. I wanted to be, I, I wanted to be that that guy. So, I, I the Marine Corps treated me well. I mean, I I did what I had to do in order to excel in in every position that I had in military in, in the military and in the Marine Corps. Um, as a young you know Lance Corporal, nineteen year old Lance Corporal. I was a saw gunner, you know, I carried the squad automatic weapon, right? That's, that's the big heavy weapon. Right. But, um, you know, a lot of Marines, a lot of infantry, always given to the guy under six foot always. Right. <laughs> and, and a lot of guys don't want to carry that. Right. But I'm, I'm more like, no, give it to me, you know, give me all, give me all the gear. Give me an, an eighth, give me a, a rocket launcher. Give me whatever you can. I don't care. I'll, I'll, I'll ruck it. I'll, I'll give it to me. I want to prove everyone wrong. So I was always, I always had that mindset where, I wanted to do more, right? I want to do more. I want to do more. And, and sometimes in the military, um, you know, I, one thing I've never been was a brown noser. <laughs> Can <laughs> I know? take you back a little bit? Yeah. Did that desire to prove that you could do more come from something when you were a younger kid, like where people were discrediting you? I would say so. And now that, you know, I've, I've always felt that, um, you know, I, I was, you know, it's, I, I was, I was always involved in sports, right? And sometimes when you're in, a smaller guy, the shorter guy, you know, you get overlooked, right? Right. You get overlooked on, uh, you know, on, on the field, you get overlooked on the court. Right. So I knew that most of the time that I was, you know, that I was stronger, that I was faster, that I was smarter than a lot of guys. Uh, but I couldn't prove it. Right. Because they, they, they outshined me on certain areas or whatever. So it, it this time in the Marine Corps was my time to prove everyone wrong. Right. Um, you know, growing up in, 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 my neighborhood, um, I realized right away that I didn't think like everyone else, right? Everyone was like, you know, joining gangs or joining, uh, you know, um, these, these, these tagging crews or whatever that was. And I knew that that wasn't, that wasn't a smart idea. 
right? Yeah, I would hang out with these these kids, but I always knew that you know what? I don't think like them. For some reason, I know that it's bad to do these kind of things. Like, I'm gonna go this way, right? So I've always realized that I had a good head on my shoulders, and I couldn't, but I couldn't prove it to myself yet, right? I realized when I was on the basketball courts, when I was playing baseball as a kid, that I was smarter than a lot of kids. I knew the game, but I couldn't prove it. Maybe they were a little bit faster than me, or they can pitch a little bit harder, or they can hit the ball a little bit harder. So I couldn't really, you know, give, I, I would give it all, but I would say the people that, the coaches, they wouldn't, they wouldn't see that in me, right? So when I joined the Marine Corps and I had my first opportunity to, you know, to, to shine, you know, I wanted to be the fastest. And at that time, you know, I was, I remember, you know, being in boot camp and realizing that, wow, I'm one of the fastest in my platoon, you know, and, you know, now when I'm fastest in the platoon, you know, your, your drone instructors are looking at you like, wow, this guy's good. He can PT. He's a stud. Let's make him a squad leader. People listen to this kid. He's a tough kid. So realize right, right when I realized that, that I can also be a leader, when people put me in that leadership position, I realized that I can shine. Right. So right after that, that boot camp, and I was meritoriously promoted to, to, you know, private first class, I went into school of infantry. I had that same mindset. You know, I started off in the bottom again, cause I'm not, I'm, a, I'm never the biggest kid. I'm never the strongest kid. I never had all the muscles to show it. So I always started, you know, at the back of the line, right? In the back of the column, right? Just doing what I have to do, marching away. But as time progresses, I feel that I'm able to, to prove everyone wrong. They start seeing me, you know, you know, run. They seen me because I've always been a runner, right? I'm like, I always want to prove everyone that I'm one of the fastest kids out there. They seen me, you know, um, you know, you know, clearing rooms or, or just doing what you have to do as an infantryman, you know, and just outshining the guy to the left or the right of you. And I think that that was what has led me to always continue to push and be a great leader is that people have seen that in me because of my hard work and have put me in these leadership positions or leadership roles where now I get to be the leader that I always wanted to be. Um, and that kind of like moved on that, that, that really inspired me to be a business owner as well. Uh, we can get to that, but, but to answer your question, yes, I feel that, um, as a kid, I was overlooked many times. And when I joined the military, they finally got to see um, that I've always been a leader and I've always had it in me. And, you know, they really brought that out and where they were able to polish that up, polish, polish the leadership trait that I always had. And gave you the opportunity to let it shine. Exactly. As a young kid, were you, was it a struggle to stay away from the gangs? Or did you find it pretty easy to just avoid it? Or did you get a lot of hassles because of it? Um, you know, if, if I ask my parents, they're going to say you're always around these bad kids. <laughs> but I knew that here's the thing is that, you know, 80% of the kids I grew up with were always into some, something bad. There was something going on, but it's the environment that we're in. We were a product of our environment. Right. Right. Whether it's, whether it's the way you dress or who you hang out with, you're always doing something bad. Right. But, you know, the way you dress has a lot to do with the area you're, you're growing up in. Right. You grew up in the 60s. You're going to. You're going to dress a certain way. You grew up in the seventies. You're going to dress a certain way. You grew up in the eighties and nineties. I grew up in the nineties and two thousands. Right. So if you're Hispanic, uh, you know, Latino growing up in the East LA area, you had a, this certain kind of, of way of dressing and swag. Right. So it wasn't that I wanted to be someone that I wasn't. It was that that's what was cool at the time. That's what got the girls. Right. That's what, <laughs> that's what made you 
have some type of uh, of respect was dressed in a certain way, right? So I would say that you know, growing up in that environment, I I knew who the bad guys were, but I was I was smart enough to be friends with them to where they didn't mess with me, but right. also smart enough to go home when it was time to go home. But I wasn't. I was you know a lot of my friends, um, a lot of their brothers. You know they're 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 in jail. They're doing life in jail. They're 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 in bad places now. Where I realized that you know, um, you know I I, I you know when they say you know you, you got to really listen to to your elders and and because they're gonna they're gonna know what's right and wrong. Well, you can also listen. To, you can also look at the older kids, right? When you're a kid, and you can see what they're doing that's right or wrong. Right. Right. So if you pay attention to, hey, that's the kid that went to the military. He's doing something right, or that's the kid that keeps going to juvenile. Uh, a fire camp or whatever they had <laughs> back then, right? Um, and he's now he's in prison. Well, that's the guy that that's the route you don't want to go with. So I've always been that kid that has has been very observant and has looked at at my elders and said, "All right, that's the path I want to go, or that's the path I don't want to go." But you know, to say that I wasn't troublemaker or tro- a knucklehead as a kid, I'd be lying. I was. I think we all were. But that's what makes the best Marines. I feel. I feel that those kids that were the knuckleheads that <laughs> that it always had something to prove as kids. Uh, go and shine when they join the military. Military, especially you know the Marine Corps as riflemen, and they get an opportunity to really shine. Coming to the end of your first enlistment, you knew you were getting out. Yeah, um, I was in. I remember after I got back from Iraq, um, it was an eleventh month deployment. We were in Ramadi, Iraq. Um, I had lost a lot of my my good friends in, in, in combat. And I realized that it was, uh, it was something that I, I, I enjoyed. I always wanted to do the military, the rifleman thing, but I didn't enjoy losing friends. And I realized from that moment on that if I can go back and do it all over again and just join the military and not go to combat and still be able to keep my friends, um, from dying, then I would do that all over again. I realized that combat was glorified and it was, not always what Hollywood painted, you know, combat to be. It was really, it was really bloody. It's and not it was, a video it, game. It's not a video game. It's serious. You can go to combat and not come back. And, you know, that's what happens. You go to combat and not everyone comes back. So I realized that, you know, if I want to continue to live and to continue to, I had dreams and I wanted to live my dreams. It wasn't going to be in the military and it wasn't going to be in the infantry. Um, at that time I realized that, okay, I need to finish my term. I need to do what I need to do to get out with an honorable discharge and go to college and see where the future, see where the future is going to take me. However, at the same time, um, I, I loved what I did. I loved the military. I, I loved the Marine Corps. I loved being an infantryman. I loved being a rifleman. It was, it was something that, that I did really well, right? Um, but I remember at the time, my younger brother wanted to join the military and he's right when I got back from from Iraq. And he's like, yeah, I wanna join. And I'm, I'm like, no, I said, I already did my time. I said, I did my time overseas. I did my time for our family. I said, you need, to, you need to stay back and you need to go to college and you need to take care of, 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 of the family here back home because only one of us can, <laughs> can can endure this and can really just put our our family through what we just did you know i remember my mother and my father you know when i would get an opportunity to call them back home they just crying and you know, watching the news and 
you know, that was bad for them. You know, my dad right. always says, when you join the Marine Corps, I joined the Marine Corps. Like, what do you mean by that? It was because he was always watching the news. He was always watching the news, just seeing what was going on, seeing, you know, hearing it through sometimes through our sat phone. I remember being on the, on the satellite phone one time, you know, on a rooftop and talking to my dad and, you know, and an IED blowing up in the background. And he's like, what's that? I'm like, oh, that's just, uh, you know, that's us, you know, blowing some shit up, <laughs> you know, just, of course, just trying to nothing dead, don't yeah, worry nothing about it. Dead, you know, don't worry about it. It's nothing serious. But in reality, you know, we were, in, we were in, in Ramadi in 2006, 2007, which was during the surge. So it was, it was, it was house clearing every day. You know, we lived out in, um, in, in the outpost, we live in LP hotel and in Ramadi off of MSR, Michigan. And anyone who's been in Ramadi knows MSR, Michigan knows the OP hotel. You know, we're across the street from the Malab, you know, one of the deadliest, um, areas in the, in, in the entire Alambar province. So it wasn't an easy deployment. Um, but at the same time, it also made me grow up really quick. It made me understand that, that life is meant to be taken serious. And when you're in combat, you realize that every day might be your last day. So when you come back from that deployment, I, I was, I was a changed man. I really understood and I really had to transition into the leader I wanted to be. And I came back, they gave me a team. I was a team leader at the time and I wanted to train my Marines to be the best Marines they can be because if we were going to combat, I wanted them to be better trained than I was. That was my goal. So that's kind of what I've, I've uh, instilled into myself now, even as a business owner. As a leader is, you know, you always have to train your Marines. You always have to train your staff to be better than you and to understand that if they're put in any situation where shit's going to hit the fan, they're going to know how to react, how to stay calm, but know how to react to where it's mission accomplishment. And I've heard this said before, and I believe it was even Rogan that said it and, or at least repeated the comment. If the Kings went to war, there would be less wars but there's more wars because the sons go to war. And so going back to your parents and I think about myself with an 18 year old son, it's one thing to love this country. And it's one thing to say, I would die for this country. It's another thing to send your child off to die for this country. And I think that's where your parents were at when you went in. And I'm not saying that how you thought was wrong, but it's funny how just in a couple of years, all of a sudden you see, Oh wait, reality's real. And now I see where my parents are coming from. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, they had, you know, your parents are always going to have, um, they're always going to want the best for you. Whether you see it as a 19 year old kid or you see it as a 36 year old man, they're always going to want the best for you. Right. There, there's, there's a reason behind the reasoning. Right. Right. You don't see it at the time you, though. You don't see it at the time. Um, but at that age, they didn't want me to, to experience. And you got to remember they were young kids at the time they were in their, maybe, you know, they were 15, 16, 17 years old, 18 years old when the Vietnam veterans were on the streets, when the Vietnam veterans weren't getting the support that, that we have now as, as, as OIF, OEF vets. So they, they pictured, you know, they, they like, well, I don't want my son to, to experience the same thing that the Vietnam veterans were experiencing when they got back. I saw that they had shell shock, which is now PTSD, right? right? 
they were on the streets. They were, you know, people called them crazy. They're drug addicts or whatever, baby killers. They had a lot of evil names for these guys. And I think my parents didn't want me to, to, to be that person, right? They wanted me to join the military, maybe pick a good career. And it's a, as a helicopter pilot, as a helicopter mechanic or <laughs> something, or something I can take a skill, you know, or a trade and I can apply it to the real world. But they knew that as an infantryman, that it wasn't always going to be pretty when I got back. They knew that I w- there was going to be some, some, some troubles and tribulations. And, and through that, they were absolutely right. However, they were always there to ensure that they had my back and they always made sure that I knew that they had my back. So a lot of my success and the reason why I'm able to, to be able to still continue, still continue to be a leader today is because of the support that I've had when I got back from the military. So coming out, you, you've already mentioned you went to college. So what was your plan coming out? What were you thinking you were going to do? Um, so I wanted to go to law school. I, I, that's, I, I wanted to go to law school. One of my um, high school teachers, uh, Mr. Verdeen, um, he was a, um, he was a, he grew up in East Los Angeles. He was one of my role models growing up. Um, he was just, you know, a young Chicano kid from East LA who went to USC, you know, was, a was, got his, a was, was, was an attorney, had his own law firm at the time. And to me, that was like, that was unheard of. Right. You don't, you don't really see that growing up. So I'm like, well, I, I knew that he had a good career. He had a good path in life. He opened up his own law firm and maybe I want to do that. Right. Um, so I went to college and I, I wanted to do, to, to become a lawyer. So I, uh, I majored in criminal justice, um, poli sci, um, and after I got back and from, from, from combat and I left the military and I started, you know, really diving into criminal justice and political science, um, I started really just seeing what, what politics was about. I started, I started, I started really realizing that I, 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 I'm not going to mention their names, but I worked on a couple campaigns in college and for senators in California at the time. So if you go back to 2006, 2007, <laughs> you're going to know who was a senator at the time. And I realized that a lot of that was phony. I realized that a lot of that was just, is just, it was not who I wanted to be is it, it was just a lot of uh dog and pony show stuff. Right. Where I'm like, well, you know what? I don't think being an attorney is, is going to be fit for me just because I, I, I want to be able to represent and fight for what's right. And I feel that a lot of, a lot of times they're just fighting for what's going to put money in their pockets. And I knew that that wasn't me. I knew that I, I wanted to, to have a respectable career. So I'm like, okay, well, uh, let me just go into law enforcement then, because I feel like law enforcement, these guys are a little bit more respectable and they're more like the enlisted guys. Right? <laughs> I could relate to them a little bit more. Um, so at that time, um, I was at Pasadena city college and I ended up moving from Pasadena to Seattle. I moved up to Seattle, um, to get away from my family at the time, right? Just cause I got out the Marine Corps and I'm like, well, I can't be close to my family right now just because we weren't seen eye to eye. I felt like I was a grown man. I was 23 years old, you know, still going out, having fun, you know, doing a lot of things I shouldn't have been doing at the time. Um, drinking bar fights, all kinds of BS that I was, I was 
I was untamed at the time, right? Um, and you know, having my parents so close to home, you know, having them, you know, in my ear telling me that, hey, you know, you really gotta, you're, you you got to think about what you're doing, and that's not really smart of you. And I'm like, well, I'm, I've been a combat. I've I've done it all. Who are you to tell me what I can and can't do, right? So I wanted to get away from my family. I wanted to get away from the 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 people I was surrounding myself with again. So I moved up to Seattle. To How did you find the transition out once you were out? Did you feel like you had made the right decision or did you regret getting out? Um, I, re I regretted the fact that a lot of my friends that were in were, were in Afghanistan. They were out there, what we call getting some, you know, some of them didn't make it back and I wanted to be with them. I wanted to be back in combat with them. I, I, I wanted to see, do what they were doing just because I felt that at that time I was already what we call a salty, right? <laughs> Salt dog, right? And I felt like, I can get through anything. I, I I knew that every situation in combat, I knew how to move. I knew how to transition from point A to point B to keep my Marines alive. Um, so I felt that I could have been a big asset to them. But at the same time, I didn't want to deal with, uh, with the chain of commands, right? I didn't want to deal with being a Marine in the rear. It was cool being a Marine in the field in combat doing your job, but being in the, in the rear, you know, where you have to be nice and pretty and have your hair cut every week. Um, it wasn't what I liked. And that's where I, I, I realized that it wasn't for me. I, I like the combat. I like being an infantryman. That's, that's what I like doing. Um, I didn't like being necessarily a, 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 what we call a garrison Marine, right? I like being a field Marine. Um, so the Marine Corps wasn't going to be uh, a good career for me <laughs> just because I probably would have gotten into a lot of trouble, which my mouth got me into a lot of trouble as a, young Lance Corporal Corporal. Um, and, um, those are, that's a different story for a different day. Uh, <laughs> but I, um, I realized that I, I, I missed it, but I also wanted to move forward and I wanted to be, um, the next, um, the leader of tomorrow. Right. So I remember always talking to my Marines that were still enlisted and still in the fight. I'm like, Hey, I'm working on this. I'm working on that. When you get out, um, I have an opportunity for you. So I've, I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. I, since as a young, you know, since a young kid, you know, my, my parents had an avocado tree. I would sell avocados <laughs> at the, you know, at, right in our front yard, people would drive by and I would have put up a sign and just sell avocados, you know, take opportunities, take opportunities right. In the Marine Corps. Um, I got in trouble this one time and, uh, they sent me off, uh, to work in the, in the, uh, in the laundry room. All right. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to find an opportunity out of this. So I was washing all, all my Marines, uh, all, all their clothes for five bucks a bag. I would, I'm like, Hey, do you guys want to wash your laundry with me? Or do you want to wash your laundry with all <laughs> thousand, all 2000 Marines and sailors on the ship? I'll make sure that your bags are in your clothes is separated from them. It'll be nice and clean and smelling well. So they're like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> no problem. So I would make, you know, I'll charge them five bucks, a five bucks a bag. And you know, I would iron their clothes and I would, I would find an opportunity no matter what I was in. I would always find an opportunity to make money. So, um, you know, when I left the Marine Corps, um, and I was in college, um, I, I realized that I have always been into business. So when I moved up to Seattle and I was in college and I wanted to be a police officer at the time, um, I went on to, to a couple interviews. I made it as far as the, uh, the oral board and, you know, I was a young 23, 24 year old kid, you know, of course I'm gonna get overlooked right at that time. Yeah. You think you're a man, but there's a lot to learn. I've talked to several former, uh, guys out of the military. And unfortunately you go in at 18 years old, 
you get a garbage load of life experience that a lot of 22, 23 year olds don't have. Yeah. But then it comes to law enforcement testing and in there's no other way to put it. You're just too overbearing. Yeah. You're bringing all of this experience and you, you don't at the, at that age. And I'll, I'll kind of put a blanket statement on it. You don't have the maturity on how to temper it. Yeah. So it's 100% and they're like, Whoa, you know, slow down, calm yeah, down, calm down. Right. Um, we say we're pissing vinegar, right? You're just hundred percent. You're going gun ho, no stopping you. You know, tell me where the, where, where, you know, where the fire's coming from. And I'm going to go in and enter that home and clear every freaking room if I have to. But that's not the mindset. That's not the mindset that, um, you know, law enforcement is supposed to have. Um, and we've realized that now, right? right. With what's, what's going on in, in our current state of, of, of law enforcement and, and the media. But um, at that age, I, I, I was a little discouraged when I didn't get into the law, get into um, the, the police department I wanted, I wanted to join. So. And you were looking up in, in the Washington, Seattle in Washington, area. Yeah. Washington, Seattle area. I was going to Bellevue Community College at the time. I was a criminal justice major. Um, and I said, okay, well, I need to do something. I need to, I need to either continue what I'm doing or transition. So I remember I remember I watching a YouTube video at the time um, by um, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, right? I was watching this YouTube, and it was a commencement speech, right? And he said a couple words that really stuck to me and, and, and it was like, wow, I need to, I need to do this. This, this, this guy's smart. He said, you know, he talked about how he was a college dropout. He said, you know, I dropped out of college, you know, I dropped out of college and here's this, this, this multimillionaire CEO of Apple, right? Telling the graduating class of Stanford that he dropped out of college, right? But he said something very important to them. He said, I dropped out of college, but I started dropping in to the classes that I really wanted to learn. Because when you go to college and you say, you want to be a poli-sci major, you want to be a criminal justice major, here's all these courses to take. Here's all these classes you need to take. Half these classes you don't want to take. Maybe out of 10, you want to take two or three that are really interesting. Right. The rest are just like, really? Do I have to do that? Right? So I never really got to... to to pay attention to the classes that I really wanted to pay attention to because I wasn't interested in them. I was, I was only interested in, you know, two or three out of the poli-sci major classes debating, right? Criminal justice forensics, right? I, I didn't care about, <laughs> about econ class. Like, yeah, it was smart. It was, yeah. But I understood the dynamics of economics. Like, right. like that's, I get it. Econ is, is I get it. Supply and demand, right? <laughs> why, do I know, why do I need to know the history of Adam Smith? Self-love. Like I, I can learn that on my own. Right. But when he said, I dropped out of college, but I started dropping in to the classes that I really wanted to learn, he said, I dropped into a, 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 an animation class. It's where I learned about, you know, about animation. I dropped in to a, um, a graphic designing class. When he said that he started dropping into those classes and he said something even better, he said, because of those classes, I was able to come up with Pixar. I was able to think outside the box, right? And gave me these ideas to where if I would have continued the course that I was in, I would have learned, I would have never have learned this, right? So I'm like, wait a minute, maybe I need to do that. Maybe I need to drop out 
of all the courses that I'm taking right now and start taking the classes that I really want to learn. So I did that. I dropped my courses, said, all right, what does Nick want to learn? What are, you, what are you into? I've always been into music. I played the drums growing up. I've always been a, I've been a percussionist, right? I want to learn music. I want to learn producing. I want to take a marketing class. I want to learn about marketing and business. I have always been into business and not knowing that I've always been into business. I just have always been a hustler, right? <laughs> I've always been an entrepreneur in my own world, right? So Hustle I started- what they call you before you make a million. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, right? So I realized that, you know what? I want to take classes that Nick wants to take. I don't want, I've always been against the man, right? The Marine Corps, <laughs> the man, right? In college, the man, right? I, I, I didn't want the classes that the man was telling me to take. I wanted to take my own classes, right? It was my own version of Born in Fourth of July all over again, Tom Cruise, right? Kind of like, F you, I've done my time. Let me pick and choose what I want. So I, I started choosing the classes that I felt that were going to best represent my beliefs and my future. So I started diving into those classes and, and understanding what marketing was all about. Understanding music, right? Because, because music, music's been my passion and what I love in my pastime, right? And I can say that because I did that and I started to realize that there was more to life than just forensics and poli-sci classes and, 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 and debating and, and Adam Smith, that there was actually real life scenarios that you can apply to your life by diving into the courses that you feel they're going to best help you in your career. That's the key to understanding college it was, it was going with your heart and your intuition. And that's what I did. Um, I started um, just making my own choices, making my own choices and not letting not letting anyone make them for me at that time. So that's when I really started, I would say, having a mind of my own, right? To where I was like, okay, this is what they're going to tell me to take. Great. I'll take these two classes, but I'm not taking those yet. I'm going to take these classes right now. So it was, it was, it was just, uh, it was a tra another transition. Not going to college for the a degree plan, but going to college to learn or simply for the plan of gaining education. Absolutely. Absolutely. When did you, was Bastards your first business idea or was there other things that you did in between? So, um, when I was living in Seattle, I lived with, um, another one of my Marine Corps buddies at the time. Um, and, uh, he came from a really wealthy family. Um, and he had really good mentors in life. His dad um, gave us an opportunity and said, hey, you guys need to open up. You guys need to start your business. Well, when I was in college at Bellevue Community College, um, we started a, a business, a judgment recovery business, right? So with the judgment recovery business, um, and I'm sure you being law enforcement understand what judgment recovery is, um, you're, you're, um, you're constantly... Uh, having to use your PI skills, right? Your investigation skills to figure out if someone has assets now that you can garnish, you know, through a court order and get someone their money back, right? So as judgment recovery, you're constantly um, recovering judgments that were um, won during a civil case, right? right? However, 
during the time of that of that of that judgment uh, um you know john smith didn't have enough money to pay you however five years later he has a good job or he's married to jane smith who has tons of money so now we can garnish her wages so we realize right away i realized that wow this is kind of fun i'm not really doing much work i'm just having to do some some private investigation work and this is before facebook i mean facebook maybe uh yeah facebook was just taking off so it was just for college students at the time right so we had to do a lot of PI work, digging in trash cans, you know, staying overnight, you know, kind of looking at, you know, following people. It was fun. Um, and I started that business with my buddy up there. Um, and at that time, um, my uh, my best friend, Keith Hernandez, um, and his brother, uh, Richard Hernandez, were diagnosed with uh, both Marines. Both served with me in 2-4, 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines. Um, his brother, Richard Hernandez, served with 1st Battalion, 3rd Marines. Uh, were both diagnosed with testicular cancer. Uh, we were young. We were there. Wow. I was 22, 23 at the time. They were probably like 24, 25. Um, they were diagnosed with testicular cancer. We were all working together. It was a team, right? We was a, it was a fire team and we we're all helping each other with this judgment recovery. Um, and when that happened, we're like, okay, well, we need to come together as brothers and we need to do a huge fundraiser. We need to help these guys out. So we reached out to local media. I reached out to um, Seattle Times. And Seattle Times contacted us and said, "Hey, we want to do a story on on um, not only on your on your brother um, and his fundraiser, but on how these Marines were able to come back from combat, work together for another mission." And you know, young twenty four, twenty five year old entrepreneurs, that's a great story, right? And now one of you know two of those brothers are suffering from you know a life and death situation with, with diagnosed with testicular cancer, and they're fighting again another battle right together was it attributed to what they experienced to combat we could never pinpoint that even though we to this day we say that um a lot of a lot of the marines that i served with especially in my company were have been diagnosed with cancer um it's something where we can't you know we have no proof of it right. but if you look into a simple google search and they're gonna they're gonna you're gonna find the comparisons of a lot of people comparing um you know, the fact of us carrying, you know, these is this is a uh, uranium, right? These all our ammo made out of uranium that has been um, set to to cause cancer. Um, and now we can't prove that. Right. It's never been proven. But here in 20, 30 years, it's going to be the next agent orange right. where they're like, yeah, well, if you served through <laughs> 2000 through 2005 and you were blah, 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 well, now you qualify for this disability. Right. So we couldn't prove it at that time. However, we feel that it did had it was service connected. Right. But that wasn't the mission. We just had to keep pushing and had to make sure that they were alive um, and to live another day. And and thank God they both beat. um beat beat it they both beat it and to this day they're 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 successful um one's a counselor the other one's a su successful real estate um agent out in the seattle area and these guys are are, are gun ho literally the the, the perfect marines these guys are just iron men they've always been the toughest in, in in the company they're just great guys so when that happened we reached out to the media to, to seattle times i realized right off the bat with the power of being a veteran can do for you, right? Because that was post OIF 2007, 2008, right? We were fresh out of Iraq. 
were all new military Marines, veterans, combat veterans. At that time, no one was using the veteran known veteran operated slogan right. in their business. That wasn't cool yet. Right. That wasn't what now you, every Marine, every veteran has veteran known, veteran operated. Right. Which I remember when we did that. But when that happened, I realized what the V card, which I call the V card, the veteran card can do for you. Right. I'm like, wow. If you really reach out to people and you tell them, hey, this is my story. I'm a veteran. Um, this is our story. Can you support us? Can you help us? A lot of people are going to help you because of that. They're going to have, even though they didn't serve their country. They're going to feel that that's their way of serving their country is by helping another service member accomplish their goal or their mission. So when we did that, you know, our story went viral. We made the front page of Seattle Times on Veterans Day. So I'm like, wow, that's, that's awesome, right? Um, and there's nothing wrong with using the V card yeah. to be the key that unlocks the door. But once the door is open, that shouldn't be what you're constantly going back to. No, not at all. You have to know how to improvise, adapt, and overcome, right? Keep moving on to the next step because that, you get, that only works so much, right? Right. That, that's, that's, that's your heart and mind, uh, you know, the hearts and minds, but you can only use that so much. You got to be able to change your tactic and, and, and move forward um, or else the enemy, which <laughs> is the people, the, right, are going to see right through you, right? So... We realized that um, that that was something that was working for us. Um, during that same time, I remember um, my dad giving me a call um, and saying, "Hey, you know, how are you doing?" Because at that time, him and I weren't really talking. When I was in Seattle, um, I said, "Hey, you know, I, you know, I love it out here. I want to stay up here." He's like, "Well, you need to come back down. Your mom misses you, and we all miss you. You need to come back down, and be with the family. You know, you're away for for four years now. You're away in Seattle, and." You know, what, what, you know, you should come back sometime. And I'm like, ah, well, I'll think about it. You know, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go back home. I wanted to stay in Washington my entire life. I, I loved it up there. But the law enforcement thing wasn't working out for me. Right. The judgment recovery was just meanwhile. It was just, just, just. You knew the judgment recovery was short term. Short term. It was not, it was not something where I wanted to do. I didn't see a future in that. Um, and I realized that if I don't get into the law enforcement uh, career, I need to, I need to find something else that's going to work for me. So at that time, um, my dad calls me and he calls me again once a week and he would call me up there and say, Hey, um, you know, when are you gonna come back down to California again? And, you know, you got to come back down to LA. There's an opportunity down here. I want you to see, like, well, what's going on? And being a real estate in the real estate, you know, world as a lender broker, constantly looking at opportunities. He's an opportunist, right? He's always looking at opportunities, right? What, what's, how can I jump on his opportunity now? Right. How is it going to benefit me and my family? Right. He saw an opportunity. He said, Hey, there's this guy across the street from my office. He owns a bar and he might want to let it go for the right price, but I can't do it alone. He's like, I know you've always wanted to open up your own business because I think this might be not right opportunity for you. So Neither you or your dad have restaurant or bar experience. No restaurant, no bar experience, just hard work and dedication. Let's do it. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, he, he knew how to, he knew the right triggers. He knew the, <laughs> he knew the triggers. He knew how to, how to push my buttons to get me to say, yeah, I'll fly down there. So I said, all right, cool. Well, I'll be down there next month. I'll go check it out with you. I flew down, uh, back down to LA to Downey, California. And, uh, we went to visit this, this bar, this restaurant bar. And, um, 
I remember walking in and he's like, yeah, what do you think about this place? I'm like, it's cool. It's small. It was 2,500 square feet, a cool little bar, beer and wine license. That was it. It was in a nice area, beautiful location um, in downtown Downey. And I re- I'm like, wow, that is, is cool. I'm like, well, you know, what does he want to give it up for? And he's like, you're not going to believe it, but he's practically giving it away. You know, just, you know, how much money do you have saved up in your GI bill? I'm like, well, not much, but <laughs> if you help me, you know, we can do this, you know? So he said, well, you know, do you know anyone that wants to come on board to help us? And right off the bat, I had a buddy I served in Marine Corps with Calvin Spencer, right? Calvin Spencer served with me in two, four. Um, not only did he serve me in two, four, he lived less than a mile away from my parents in Downey. So every weekend, did you guys know each other growing up. We didn't know each other growing up. We met each other in the school of infantry. So in the school of infantry, I remember, you know, you get to know all the people who, you know, who you're, um, who you're, uh, it's, it all goes by your last name. So it's like from, you know, who's in the, I'm in the, I'm at the end of the alphabet, Velez. Right. Right. So you know, from Spencer's, I mean, his last name was Spencer. So Spencer and Velez, they're not too far away from, from each other. So your rack, your bunk, he's not too far from each other. So you get to know everyone around you. And then you find out that, oh, this guy's also from the LA area. Then you really start digging into like, where in LA are you from? Yeah. Like, oh, I'm from Downey. You're like, oh, oh, wow, no shit. My parents live in Downey. Like, really? He's like, yeah, I live in Downey. And then these other two guys live in Downey too. I went to high school with them. I'm like, dude, we should all carpool together. You know, because on the weekends, school of infantry, you don't want to stay back in Camp Pendleton. So all of us were going up to back to L.A., going home, hanging out with our friends. So we just became really good friends. We started to carpool together every weekend. And we get stationed together in 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines, Echo Company. All right. So not only do we live about a mile away from each other, we go to school of infantry together. We get stationed together, the same battalion in the same company. So we're like, all right. I guess it's meant to be. So now we're all carpooling together every weekend up to LA. And when we get to LA, yeah, you know, we just go with it to hang out with our buddies that we grew up with. But when we're back in, in, in back in Pendleton, right. we're like, we're, we're the group, right? We're the, we're the, we're the guys that always hang out together. That's the Marine Corps buddies. And you got your back home buddies. All right. Your, your buddies back home. So we've always been tight. We've always been cool. Um, that we've, we've, we've been Marine Corps buddies and we get out. Uh, we all go our own different ways, right? Again, you got to remember, Facebook was at its infancy. It's very, it was, it was, it was a baby. So the only way that you can really reach out to people is through Facebook or MySpace at the time, <laughs> right? So I remember Calvin. Um, you know, he was my Facebook friend, and I would always see his his updates on Facebook, his posts. It's like, hey, I'm op- I'm going to Cordon Blue Culinary School. I'm like, cool. I, I remember just watching that. I'm like, oh, that's cool. He went to Cordon Bleu because he, he always said he wanted to be a cook. I'm like, well, why don't you join, why don't you join the Marine Corps to be a cook? He's like, oh, I joined the Marine Corps to be a rifleman to fight. All right, cool. But I never really thought he was going to live up to right. those dreams because everyone says they want to you know, go to culinary school, but you don't really believe them. You know, and A lot of guys say, yeah, when I get out, I'm going to go do this, do that. But nine, nine times out of ten, you don't do, end up doing that anyway. But he really did. He went to Cordon Bleu. He was a bartender during that time as he was a cordon blue. So he learned the front of the house, the restaurant, learned the back of the house, the restaurant. So when my dad said, Hey, do you know anyone who could help us? I said, yes, I have the perfect guy. I call my buddy Calvin. I say, Calvin, Hey brother. Um, I have this opportunity where, um, just fell on my lap and, um, I want you to meet me at this, at this restaurant this time. Can you be there? Yes. 
So we meet at this restaurant in Downey, where Bastards is today. And I said, hey, um, so my family and I were thinking about, um, about buying this restaurant here. Um, but we don't know anything about restaurants. I don't know anything about restaurants. Um, I know how to eat. I know how to, eat. <laughs> I know how to throw parties. I was, I've, I've been throwing parties since I was in high school. I mean, I was, I was part of a, what you call the party crew days, right? Where you throw parties, house parties. Um, so I knew a lot of people. All right. I knew how to have a lot of friends on my, on my, uh, on I my contact list. I can get a lot of people here, but I didn't know jack shit about restaurants. Nothing, not, they're not, not, they're not difficult, are they? <laughs> oh, wow. Right. Yeah. So I didn't know anything. I didn't know how to price out a beer. I didn't know how to price out any menu items. I didn't know anything about it. I just knew how to drink, you know, cold beer and, and get effed up at the time. Right. Cause that's what was fun. And I, that's what I felt like it was going to be. I'm like, yeah, it's going to be a good time. It's just a big party every day. Whoa. <laughs> Did I have a rude awakening? Um, what do you mean? We got to pay bills. Yeah. Right. So I remember, um, he said, well, what's your plan? I said, look, I don't know the type of menu I want to run. I don't know what we need to do to make this happen. But I do know one thing. We need to honor our brothers that never made it back. So I want to name our restaurant and have the decor and have all this catered around the veterans. Using that V card again, right? I'm like, I know that we can make this happen and I can reach out to, to the media and I can reach out to people to support us. But we need to have our story right. We need to have our, our story right so people could understand it and respect it and come in. And that's going to be your niche. Like, okay, well, what do you want to name this? You know, we went back and forth. Remember, we were at a, at a, we were at a bar that night. Um, we were at a bar in Cerritos, California. Um, and this, we were at this bar and we were playing pool. I'm like, we're, we're throwing all these names at each other. Hey, how about heroes? And like, we look it up. I'm like, oh, that's already taken. taken. I'm like, how about this? Like, oh, that's corny. That's not cool. I'm like, how about this? And we're like, man, we couldn't figure it out. And I remember I was playing pool and he goes, hey, hey, bastard, you're next. Little history behind bastards. Our nickname, second battalion, fourth Marines, is the Magnificent Bastards. That's the moniker of the battalion, 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines, the Magnificent Bastards. So in, during combat, during our time in the Marine Corps, in 2-4, they called us Bastards. We were the Bastard Battalion. It wasn't always fun. It wasn't cool. They kind of, it was kind of like, someone kind of made, I, they almost like made fun of our name. Like, oh, that's the Bastard Battalion, right? Because <laughs> we always get the shit end of the stick, right? Always, right? We, we, we were attached to 5th Marine Regiment, so we weren't, Part of the we were part of the regiment. We got a war with the French Forge, but we were just the bastard battalion that was attached to the regiment, right? So we always felt like we got the shittiest barracks, the shittiest weapons, the worst deployments. It, it, we never felt as bastards that that we were up to par with the rest of the regiment, even though we knew we were. They didn't look at us as 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 equal to them, but we but to each other we were. It was a term of endearment, you know, to call each other bastards. So when he called me a bastard, I looked back to him and I said, that's it. We're going to name it Bastards. And Calvin looked at me he's like, Bastards? Are you serious? You think you're going to get away with that? Fuck yeah. That's our First Amendment. We can, they can't take that away from us. You know, <laughs> just me being that guy, right, that never wants to give up without a fight. I said, all right, let's do it. So he put in his two weeks. He left his job. He came over 
And I remember I closed doors and my dad's like, what are you doing? Why are you closing doors? Can't you just open up tomorrow? I'm like, no, 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 no. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta paint this place. We gotta, we gotta revitalize it. We need, we need transition to what it was to what it's going to be. So people know that it's new ownership. It's new. I was 25 at the time. Calvin was 24. We had an, an idea of what we wanted to do, but we're still learning and I'm still learning every day. I'm still learning every day. Um, but at that age, all we knew is that we wanted to make this place uh, headquarters for the bastard Marines, right? Had you already taken the marketing class in college? I had just taken the marketing class. I so you understood the whole, the psychology of rebranding a business. I understood about branding. I had took a class about branding. And one thing that they were talking about over and over again was branding and culture, understanding the brand and culture, right? It would take companies like Nike, right? Take companies like, like, uh, like Apple, right? And talk about the brand and the culture that it brings, right? And how do you bring both and how do you make both known? You have to have, a, you have to cater to a certain market. And our market was going to be, our 20% was going to be veterans. We wanted to be the modern day VFW American Legion. But with cool decor with with <laughs> linoleum floor with good lights <laughs> yeah with good food with good music right um i always paid attention to to bigger franchises i paid attention at that time i was i was a fan of the yard house i remember the yard house you know and, and they're right on their on their logo it said you know yard house good food good music i think good times right so you knew right, right off the bat that there was good food there was good music and you're going to have a good time. All right. So I said, okay, well, whatever we do, we got to make sure that we cater to this market and what this market likes to hear, what they like to, what, what, what they're all about. Right. So we're going to corner that market. All right. So Calvin's job was to put the menu together, put our contact, uh, put our, our beer list, our, our, our draft beer um, list together, put our menu together, hire, fire, that's what he was best at. <laughs> and pretty much um, run the operations while I, while I was focusing more on the marketing and on the admin. Yeah, we both opened and closed the restaurant because as small business owners, that's what you need to do. Right. But he was just, when it came down to operations, he was smooth, it was fluid. It just, it was, it was easy to him because he's been in the restaurant industry since his last year in the Marine Corps. He, was, he went to bartending school his last year in the Marine Corps. He went to Cordon Bleu. From Cordon Bleu, he opened up a restaurant in Long Beach. Uh, he opened up the kitchen. He designed their menu. He knew how to price the menu out. He knew how to price everything out to where he knew where we were going to make a profit. Right. Right. Like he had business school without even knowing it. He understood it already. Right. Me, I understood what it was to make something out of make um make something out of nothing, which was nothing being the restaurant it was this empty, you know, restaurant on the corner of second and Downey Avenue in downtown Danny. That was always slow. They had no customers in there. And I'm like, I knew at that time at 25 years old that I could make this happen. And if I put my love and my passion into making this bastard brand, the next big thing, then this can be something that we can grow. We can franchise this. Our goal is to be, to have a bastards in every small town in America. 
to what the American Legion is today, right? right? And what they have been, right? We wanted to be a home for veterans, right? So when we put our name up at Bastards, I put up, I remember I went to go print a big banner, like a 10 foot banner. That banner, we, we hung it outside of Bastards, um, outside of, uh, outside of the restaurant and it said, Bastards, coming soon. That next day, I get a call from the mayor of Downey. I get a call. I get a call from the from city clerks. I'm getting my, my phone is blowing up. I'm like, what the hell? What's calling me? Why are you guys calling me? I get an email. I'm like, hey, can we talk to you about the name? <laughs> All the church. If you know Downey, you know Downey has is surrounded by churches. There's tons of churches in Downey, and apparently, someone from the local church didn't like the name. So. The mayor contacted us, city clerks, everyone, planning division, the economic planning division, um, building and safety. Everyone was, was emailing me, call, calling me and say, hey, can you please take down the banner? I'm like, no. Can you please change the name? I said, no. Can we meet? Yeah, we can meet. Because they never asked me to meet. They never right. wanted to hear the story. I said, just do. Why don't you? Before, just don't tell me what don't to tell do. Don't tell me what to do, right? You got you to gotta ask me why we decided to name it Bastards. And maybe you have a second opinion about this. Maybe you have a second opinion about why we named it Bastards. So I met up with the city councilman, city council members, young 25-year-old kid. Me and, me and uh, Calvin. Calvin was 24 at the time. We walk in uh, with our, you know, our, our Marine Corps shirts and just kind of letting him know who we are and what we represent. And right after, right after the bat, they're like, okay, why bastards? We're like, why not? <laughs> like, well, what are, you, what are you guys trying to do? What's, what's, what's your purpose here? Do you guys want to piss everyone off here? Because we're getting calls from, I'm like, wait a minute. There's a story behind bastards. There's a reason why we were called bastards. I pointed at my shirt. I had the Marine Corps, I had my, uh, which was Sears 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines of Magnificent Bastards, which is the emblem of 2-4. Pointing at the shirt and I said, you see this here? 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines, the Magnificent Bastards. I said, that's our name. That's the, that's the name that we, that we took into battle. That's the name that our brothers died for. I said, that restaurant is not only for the community. It's for the brothers that never made it back. It's to keep their memory alive. It's to make sure that no one forgets about them. So when you walk into Bastards, you're going to see their pictures up there. And we don't, see, we don't see just names. We see faces when we see their names. It's something different for us and represents something more than just a name that pisses you guys off. It represents our history. And it represents our country. They took a step back. Oh, okay. Well, how about Magnificent Bastards? I'm like, no. <laughs> no. You remember that movie? Uh, uh, Inglorious Bastards? No, or? Yeah, they, uh, no, no, I remember uh, when I, what, I, what I take away is uh, from the Mark Zuckerberg, uh, the Facebook. Oh. And he's like, what about the Facebook? And he said, no, just Facebook. You know, it, they didn't call us, hey, Magnificent Bastards. They weren't referring to us as Magnificent Bastards. They just called us Bastards. Hey, Bastards. We're the bastard battalion. We're bastards, and it's plural. There's many of us, right? And our our name 
stuck with us. And it stuck with us after battle. So we were always going to be bastards. During that time that they were pretty much boycotting our name, um, I started to reach out to all the local media. I started to reach out to Fox News, to ABC, to the Marine Corps Times. And all of them, at the same time, started contacting the city of Downey. That hey, why don't why don't you agree with these, these Marines? They're young, they're entrepreneurs, they're just trying to make it happen. What what do you have against the name? All right. Again, that's 2012. A little bit different than where we're at today. Right. At that time, using that using those words wasn't 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 okay. All right. Nowadays, there's, there's other restaurants that are far far beyond more derogatory than than bastards. Right. I can name a few, but we. We got the, the attention of the media, which is something we really wanted too. We're like, it's going to happen. It's, you know, like they say, you know, there's no such thing as bad publicity, right? Even bad publicity is good publicity sometimes, yep. right? Look at, look at Donald Trump right now. <laughs> <laughs> His rating keeps going up and up. <laughs> it doesn't matter how many times they say all these bad things about him. It doesn't matter. You're mentioning their name. So... They're mentioning our name over and over again. We made the front page of the Marine Corps Times. We made Fox News. We made ABC. We made NBC. Everyone was trying to visit us and try to get our story at the time. So we didn't have much money to open up our restaurant. We, we, we had enough money to buy paint. And I remember my buddy Ernie at the time, he worked at a, at a, at a company and he's like, hey, I can help you with paint. I, I'll buy your paint. Um... And he bought us our paint. My other buddy was like, hey, I have an extra fridge. It's a commercial fridge. You can have it. So I remember um, I, me calling all my friends that I served in the Marine Corps with. And I said, hey, can you guys help me put, the, put this restaurant together? So all of us came together. And all of us were there. I mean, I have photos. I have pictures of us all painting. And like, well, I'm like, I can't pay you guys, but I have tons of kegs that I can pay you in beer with. <laughs> so we paid them in beer and pizza. And that's, and that's how we got, you know, we closed for about 20 to 30 days and, um, we opened doors on May 28th, 2012, which was Memorial day. That's our anniversary. So that's, that was the, uh, that was the, the our story of being born, being born again, which we call born at a bar. All right. Born in a bar. That's You're our, stealing the storyline. Yeah. <laughs> born in a bar. And, um, we were, um, you know, the Marine Corps being, uh, being born in, uh, Tun Tavern, Philadelphia in 1775, right? And a bar, our story, we were born in a bar. We were, we were born to, to be a home for, for the generation that was coming back, that was transitioning from the military, not just Marines, all, all military, all branches. We were a home for them. We were a place where, and we are a place where veterans can come in, sit at the bar top. And not worry about having to watch their back because we have their sixth. That's that's the difference between us and every other establishment is that we have the best interest of our Marines, of our soldiers, of our sailors, of anyone who served in the military. We have their back because we understand that we all took the same oath. We all put on a uniform. And if they called us into combat, they called us a war, we were all going to be there side by side. So that's what we're doing. We were side by side now living that next dream and the dream was to be entrepreneurs or we call vetrepreneurs and obviously i know that you wanted to target the veteran community but you had based on the product that you've 
produced, you also understand that you need a viable business that attracts everybody. And you've done a great job with that. Was you, you, you've used the, the analogy, we want to be the modern VFW, but really at the end of the day, you wanted to be a great bar that happens to cater to veterans. Am I understanding that correctly? Absolutely. We say bastards is a place where the community and the veterans unite, right? People, they knew what a, what a veteran was because they saw the Vietnam veterans, the Korean right. war veterans, World War II veterans. But when they saw a young 24, 25 year old kid, they didn't consider us veterans. They're like, they're just kids. But we were, we were combat veterans at that time. We were veterans, right? So we knew that we wanted to reintroduce veterans to the community, right? We wanted to reintroduce ourselves. We wanted to rebrand the next generation. We wanted to rebrand the word veteran. And it wasn't a bad stigma. It was, a, it was something to be proud of. Right. Right? And our generation... Our veteran, our, our generation of OIF, OEF vets, there's so many entrepreneurs. There's so, so many of us doing amazing things that we had to put the word out there. We had to make sure that people understood that we were veteran owned and veteran operated, right? That those words come back. And at that time, when we, we used that, that, that tagline, veteran owned and operated, it was something new. It was something that many, many people weren't, many veterans weren't using because guess what? There was still a war going on. We're still creating veterans. We're still creating combat vets. The war was still going on. Iraq had just ended. They transitioned over to Afghanistan. And now there was a new fight. And these guys were out there getting some. So we wanted to be a home for them to when they got back, they felt safe. And they felt that this is a place for them to be able to hang out, celebrate Veterans Day, celebrate the best Marine Corps birthday celebration that they've ever had. And that's what we're known for. We're known for the Marine Corps veteran. Uh, we're, we're known for our Marine Corps birthday and Veterans Day celebration that we host every year. And we bring thousands of veterans together in the city of Downey and in Temecula now. When did, when did the idea of growth, I know you mentioned early on that you wanted to have one in every town, but there's the dream and then there's the ability to make it happen. How soon after you got Downey open, were you starting to look at the next location? You know, it's something that Calvin and I would talk about. We just talk about it. We didn't know how we were going to get there. You know, we knew that that was the, that was, that was the mission. We, we knew we had a back plan from that mission. We just didn't know how to get there. And we didn't have the money at the time. We were just trying to make it happen. We had a beer and wine license. Our goal was to get, at that time, was to get our liquor license. Like, all right, we just got to start saving for a liquor license. Actually, before the liquor license, we wanted to save up to buy a, a a glycol draft cooler so we can have 20 beers on tap instead of having four beers on tap. We're like, all right, we got to save 20,000. They're like, how are we going to do it? All right, start saving. So we bought our draft system from our draft system. All right. We need new tables and chairs. All right, let's grab, let's save more money. Let's, let's buy our tables and chairs. So we, we were constantly rebuilding our restaurant, constantly rebranding ourselves, learning at the same time. And at that time, we realized that we couldn't do it alone. We needed more help. So one of our buddies who had just got out the Marine Corps at that time was going to college at Cal State Long Beach. When we were in school of infantry, there was three of us. It was Calvin, 
myself, and our buddy, Manny Maeda. Manny Maeda had a similar upbringing to us, first-generation Mexican-American. Calvin was first-generation um, uh, Guatemalan, Italian. Um, so he, we all had this, this love for kind of like under, being, being minorities, right? And right. kind of sticking together. So we, we stuck together. We were always there. We were always fighting with each other, fighting for each other, you know, no matter who came into our, our, our and no matter who came in our way, we we're always there backing each other up. So myself and Calvin left the Marine Corps after four years and Manny stayed in. He served, I think a total of eight years after he served as, um, his eighth year, we were already in comp. I mean, we were already hooking and jabbing at the, in the bar industry. We were already, you know, hosting bar events. Manny was in Afghanistan when he read the Marine Corps Times and he says, dude, these are my bros. <laughs> he wrote us on Facebook or I think it was MySpace. And he's like, dude, what are you guys doing? You know, I'm like, oh, dude, we're hooking and jabbing. We're opening. When you get out, we got a place for you. You know, we can't wait for you to get out. So that's what we did when he got out the military. Um, he went to school in San Diego. He got his tutor, his, uh, his associate's degree there and he transferred over to Long Beach state. And that's when I'm like, all right, bro, it's time for you to come on board. We need your help. So it was a no brainer. We brought him on board and then it was three of us. We were just unstoppable. Manny had front of the house experience. He was an amazing bartender, great customer service. Just, we all worked so hard. We were all trying to outwork each other. It was just like, it, it was, it was a perfect dream team. The perfect dream team. So when that happened, I, I, I was able to focus more on the marketing side and the growth part. I'm like, okay, I need to focus on growth and acquisition. That's what I need to focus on. Because Manny and Calvin have to get, they have, they got it all squared away. Calvin's focusing on the back of the house operations. Manny's focusing on front of the house. We got our liquor license. It was booming. You know, we hosted, we were hosting the biggest Marine Corps birthdays. To this day, we host the biggest Marine Corps birthday in Southern California. We closed down two entire blocks in Downey, California. We bring over 5,000 veterans, wow. Marines, to the Marine Corps birthday every year, November 10th. So... We knew we had something special and it was our time for growth. So at that time I applied for a liquor license. I applied for a liquor license in Riverside County and we won our liquor license. We got the liquor license. We were like, all right, we got a liquor license now, gents. What are we going to do? Riverside County, where should we open up in Riverside County? Riverside County is huge. Either we could be in Palm Springs <laughs> or we could be here in Temecula, right? At that time, we had a lot of friends who lived in the area. Temecula, Marietta, Anza. We'd go shooting up. There's and no veterans in this area at all. Yeah, <laughs> right? It's insane, right? Just living, you know, it's your modern day uh, Oceanside. That's <laughs> yeah. what it is, right? Without boots walking all over the <laughs> town. But it, it's what it is for senior enlisted. It's a, lot of, it's a place where, for, where guys come and they retire because it's affordable. It's affordable. It's safe. It's a great community. Everyone's pro-military here. It's a horrible home. community. Right? Don't tell people yeah, you're right. Here. Don't come here. No, don't come. <laughs> Stay away from Temecula. If you do come, just come to Bastards, all right? And then go right home. So, yeah, we, it was it, it was like, okay. Um, I remember Manny, and Manny's like, dude, we should go to Temecula. I used to live in Temecula. Let's check. I was like, dude, Temecula's, that's in our crosshairs. Like, 
we we always when we exit the freeway and we go to our buddy jeans in anza and we go shoot up there and hang out with him for the weekend we always exit in temecula we go to the walmart in temecula and every time at the walmart in temecula we run to someone that we knew that we served with like dude what are you doing out here well i live out here so we knew that temecula was a foothold for for not only veterans but marines right navy federal navy federal credit union was here pacific marine was here they did the r&d for us we didn't have to do the r&d there was no navy fed no pacific marine in la area but we made it happen so if we can do that in la where there's no strong foothold of these military communities why can't we do it here in temecula the path, fish in a barrel man the path was already paid for us they paved the path for us all we had to do was open up if you build it they will come right so we found a location off of jefferson um and what they call uptown temecula um it was a sizzler it was the first location that we went to and i remember calvin um and manny like oh well i don't know man it's just not maybe we should keep looking the place was a dump there was buffet lines there was boots all <laughs> over the place i mean it looked like they just dropped their plates and their forks and their knives and everything that they were eating chow with and they walked out that front door everything was in place and we realized that wow this is maybe this is not it we got to keep looking so we kept looking and the thing is when you get when you get your liquor license you have an x amount of time they give you about 60 to think 90 days and you have to find a location if you don't have final location somewhere within that county without that county you lose your license so we we're on a time crutch so we we're constantly looking constantly looking we had a broker in town looking for us and we couldn't find anything couldn't find anything and then I think it was about we had about 10 to 15 days left. I'm like, all right, guys, we got to find something. All right, the only thing affordable that we can find that was, was within our budget was a big 7,000 square foot scissor building that we didn't want at first. It was too big. It was not an old town. We wanted to be an old town. But one thing we did like was that there was crazy parking. There was a lot of parking, and we could host our events there. <laughs> old like, town has no parking. No parking in old town. There was zero parking in old town. Don't even go to old town. As a matter of fact, it's... There's nothing good in Old Town, all right, guys? <laughs> so we went to Uptown Temecula. We put in our offer. They accepted our offer. And um, it was time for us to build. And that was in 20, 2018. 2018. Great time to start a business or right? take over a business. Right. Head straight into COVID. How did COVID impact you guys? So before COVID. 2018 um january of that year we i mean combat was tough you know growing up was tough um losing your best friends was tough you know i was in combat and not only did i lose my best friends in combat i lost a lot of my friends back at home i lost a friend to dui i lost another friend to a crazy car accident these are guys i grew up with so i was just losing friends left and right I'm like, fuck, man, like life is tough, right? You right away, you become kind of numb to to death, right? You realize that it's something that's going to happen. You just don't know when it's going to happen to you, but you know, it's going to come. And it's never in the business plan. It's not part of what you, it's not part of your, your, your five paragraph order, right? It's not part of your business plan. No one says, oh yeah, well, I'm going to go out in this year. And, and then that's the year that this person's going to take over my business. But in 2018, um, the trio 
um, Calvin, myself, and Manny, you know, went through some of the most difficult times in our business. And unfortunately, um, we lost Calvin Spencer to a motorcycle accident. I'm sorry. We lost Calvin to a motorcycle accident and it was, it was, I felt like it was the death of me. I felt like I remember getting the call. Um, you know, I had, I was in Escondido at a time at a family reunion and I get a call and, uh, they're like, yeah, Hey, uh, there's an accident here in Downey. And, um, my buddy, my buddy called me. He's like, Hey, I drove by and the bike looks like it's Calvin's bike. Looked like it's his, his bike. And, 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 um, I can't see if they don't, they're not telling me if it's him, but I'm looking at his shoes and he always rides his bike with his vans and his black and white vans. And I'm like who rides their bike with their vans? Right. <laughs> at that time, right now, everyone does. Um, and I'm like, yeah, dude, that's crazy. I'm like, man, and I had, I had this weird feeling in my gut and I'm like, fuck dude, I don't know why I just. I feel like like I I need to leave. I need to go now. I need to go check out and see if it's him. So I remember jumping in my car at the time and calling Calvin. I'm calling him. I'm calling him. He does not answer. He's not picking up. I'm texting him. I'm like, hey, dude, you're right. I heard there was an accident in in uh, in Downey. Um, I just want to make sure you're good, bro. Not getting anything back. I make it from Escondido or from Encinitas at the time. I was in Encinitas. Make it from Encinitas to Downey which is San Diego to LA about, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes to about 40, 40 minutes. It was, I mean, I'm going 120 on the freeway. I'm just worried at the time. I'm worried at the time. I'm just like, please, Calvin, please let it not be you. Please let it not be you, Calvin. I'm calling everyone. I'm calling the restaurant. I'm like, Hey, where's, is Calvin there? Like, no, no, he just left about 15 minutes ago. I'm like, okay. You know, I'm calling his brother. His brother's telling me, no, no, his, his truck's parked here. He's good. He's, he's probably in his restaurant. He, I mean, he's probably in his room. He's asleep. I'm like, dude, are you sure? Are you sure he's not on his bike? Like, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's asleep in his room. They call me back. I'm like, no, man, I guess he took his bike. He's, he's on his bike. That's the restaurant. He's not at the restaurant. He's not at home. I'm like, fuck, where is he? I show up to, to the crash site where they told me that, that, um, it was on Stewart in, in Paramount in the city of Downey about, I don't know, five blocks away from his home. I show up, there's a tent, you know, you know, the, the whole nine yards, there's an easy up tent, it's covered and there's a car, there's a, there's a suburban, um, parked, um, right above, um, a body. And all I can see is the feet sticking out from this easy up tent and there's paramedics, there's, I mean, everyone is there. I know all Downey PD. I know all those guys. So I'm running up to the, to the site and I try to get through the, through the, through the lines. And they're like, no, Nick, you can't come in. I'm like, dude, just please. Like, I got to go in. I got to see what's going on. And like, is it Calvin? Is it Calvin? And they can't tell you, right? They're not telling you what's going on. His mom shows up. Everyone shows up. We close on the restaurant. Everyone is there. We're all waiting. I mean, it's something I'll never forget. It's this feeling I had in my, my stomach. And I remember my buddy, um, the officer um, at the time who was there um, as crowd control, um, 
he comes up and I'm like, dude, just please tell me the Calvin. That's all I want to know. And he looks at me and he nods his head. And I just, my whole body just, wow. I felt, I just, I, I ran, I ran to near's bush. I saw, and I just started puking. I felt my whole body just change. Oh, I'm just like, whoa, like, there's no way, like, there's no way this is going on. This is not real. This is not real. Like, my body, my, 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 felt like I was not in, I was not living. It was not me. I was, I was living a dream. It's not, it's not what's going on right now. This is not real. And I remember just throwing up and, and his mom, Calvin's mom being there just crying and, she right after that they told her that it was it was her son she identified the body and they gave they gave her um his wallet and all that good stuff in there and and she just we couldn't believe it and it was just it was life-changing it was just it was a, a point in my life where i just it wasn't in the business plan it wasn't an operation order it wasn't part of what we talked about doing Ryan, his bike was just a pastime, right? It's just a pastime, you know? Um, and that bike had a history. Um, there's a lot of that bike belonged to one of my other buddies that we served in the Marine Corps with who I took his life, um, to suicide, um, to, you know, to the battles of, uh, of, of suicide, right. Of, of post-traumatic stress that, that, so that bike there, represented a lot to him he loved that bike he bought it off the family and he's like you know i want to take care of this bike and make sure it's in good hands and and he he took that bike and he put a lot of love into it he had just installed his new handlebars and he was he was happy he was riding it that day and he had he was just he was just going home nothing nothing out of the ordinary he wasn't drinking he wasn't doing anything illegal he was just riding his bike and um uh, an older lady um, was exiting a, a parking lot, made an illegal, illegal, illegal left turn, and he didn't see her. Um, and he T-boned her and went right underneath the car. And I hope they say he died instantly. Um, and that was probably the biggest um, pivotal change that could have affected our business at the time, I didn't know if I wanted to continue. Um, we were always a home for veterans when veterans took their life, when veterans were killed, when law enforcement that were vets killed were killed in line of duty. We were that place. Bachelor's Canteen was that place where all the vets were congregate. And I remember that night, I told my team back at the restaurant, I said, hey, close the restaurant. We're not opening up right now. So the next day I'm, I'm getting calls left and right from all the guys. I'm like, Hey dude, I can't believe it. Is this real? Is this real? I'm like, yeah, it's real. Like, are you going to open up bastards? Are you going to open up the restaurant? We need a place to all hang out again. We want to talk about this. And I didn't want to be around anyone. I just wanted to be around his family and making sure that they were squared away and they were all taken care of. So I was like, okay, well, I don't want to open up shop. Like I'm, I'm done. So for a good week, we closed our doors at Bastard's Canteen in Downey and we didn't know what we were going to do. Manny and myself were trying to regroup ourselves. 
we were trying to, you know, yeah, in combat, you just keep going. We're not in combat no more. You don't expect this. Right. You don't expect your brother that you're living, that you're, that you, that you're living your dream with, that you're, um, you know, coming to work with, coming to work coming into work with every day, um, you know, to, to be taken away from you, especially when you're not in a combat job anymore. You're not in law enforcement. You're, you're in a restaurant, right? <laughs> you're owning a restaurant. You're operating a restaurant. Like, right. That's not, that's, that's not part of the plan. It's not part of the business plan. So we didn't know what we wanted to do. We had just signed our lease in Temecula. We were, we were at our, our, our peak. We were, we were, we were, we were doing amazing things with the restaurant in Downey. Um, and that blindsided us. It took us out of the fight for a while. Um, and it took us a while to, to regroup. Um, even once we opened doors, it took us a good couple years to really understand what had happened. And to this day, we honor Calvin. We have a mural of Calvin in our restaurant. We have a mural outside of second and Downey Avenue on the street of Calvin, um, with the battle cross and the American flag and what, what we feel rep is a proper representation of Calvin and what he stood for. He, he loved our country. He loved the Marine Corps. He loved his brothers that weren't here anymore. Um, so we were able to, to live, um, you know, because of what he taught us in, in the restaurant world, we're able to apply it to, to what we're doing here today. Um, at Bastards Downey and in Bastards Temecula. Um, he taught us a lot and we wanted to make sure that no one forgot about him. So he's embedded in everything that we do at Bastards Canteen. Everything we do. We have his face, we have his face plastered around the restaurant. He's on the menu. He's on the beer can. He's on our merchandise. He's everywhere. So um, we love our brother and, you know, rest in peace, Calvin Spencer. And we miss you every, every single day. And there's not one day we don't think about you. You mentioned the beer can that that's the blonde ale. Correct. That's your first canned beer. That's our first canned beer. Yeah. That's our blonde ale. Uh, it's made by a local craft brewery. Uh, it's called craft brewing company. Um, we took a lot of love in, 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 in designing the, the beer can. Um, and the beer can is, it represents, um, Calvin, but it also represents, um, our, our, our love for the veteran community, a portion of every can sold goes back to a veteran nonprofit organization, save the brave. Um, and that's how we're able to, to carry not only his mission, but our mission into what we do into our passion of selling food and beverage. And that's where I wanted to take this next. So you had your own issues with alcohol that you had to get away from and obviously difficult owning a bar and getting away from that. Can you walk me through that process? And when you came to realize that you needed to stop drinking? Yeah. Um, actually happened a little bit, maybe about a year, a year before Calvin passed away. I was, uh, you know, when you're in the industry, when you're in the bar industry, everyone's trying to buy you a beer. Everyone's trying to, you know, you're, you're trying to have a good time. You're, you don't want to say no to anyone who wants to buy you a beer because that's another $5 in the bank, <laughs> right? You're like, okay, for sure. You want to buy me a beer? Here you go. I'm not going to say no to that. Um, I was wanting to live, I wanted to live that party life. It was part of owning a bar. 
but then again, it's not part of owning a bar. You got to, you got to pick your poison. And I was drinking every day. I mean, I can go, I, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you that, that I was sober for any day of the week, all seven days out of the week, every day I was drinking by three o'clock by noon, I had a beer. I had an excuse to drink. Some, well, well, why are you drinking today? Well, Joe Schmo bought me a beer. Well, Calvin's buying me a beer today. Hey, Calvin, let's go to lunch. All right, we're having a beer. We're having a drink. Then I have to come back to work and try to hide it, right? That I wasn't drinking on the job or whatever. And I tried to, to live that life and wake up the next day and do it all over again. I was 25 when I opened the restaurant. I think I was 28 when I stopped drinking. Were you Three trying, years. Were you trying to bury going deeper into the whole trauma and related to combat? And But were you trying to bury something else? You know what? We, I was fighting anxiety at the time. I had a real bad anxiety problem. Um, I was losing my, my, my hair, my beard. Half had patches all over this place. I, I was just, I, I was going through a very tough time. I was going to the VA. They were medicating me with all kinds of meds, giving me all kinds of pills. I was taking those pills, waking up the next day, you know, I'd carry my pistol with me everywhere, waking up and not knowing where I left my gun. You know, I'd, I'm like, fuck. You know, I get home and I don't understand. I'm like, how the hell did I get home last night? Like, what happened? I had to hear the stories from Calvin. Dude, you did this. Dude, you fought that guy next door. Like, what? Dude, do you remember what you did? Like, no, I don't. Dude, you said some pretty crazy stuff to me last night, dude. Like, I'm like, fuck, I'm bad. Like, my bad, dude. I didn't mean any of that I said to you. I'm sorry. So you weren't just getting drunk. You were getting blacked out drunk. I was getting blacked out drunk every day. It was part of my MO. It was part of who I was. I was showing my ass in front of not only my friends, but my family. I wake up in the middle of the night. How the hell did I get here? Wake up in the garage. I'm, I'm like, mom, how did I get in there? Oh, you finished the entire bottle of tequila up there and you were doing this, you were doing that. I remember driving home one time and I won't say what police department, but a local police department pulled me over and I was like, well, I'm drunk. I'm going to keep driving. They're going to pull me over anyway. I'm, not, I'm just going to drive home and they can take me from there. I'm going to leave my car there. And that was my mindset, right? Just leave my car there and I'll go home. When I get to my house. Not a good battle plan. but Not okay. a good battle plan. <laughs> but when you're drinking, you can't think straight, right? Right. So when I'm driving, I, I get home, I get there and, uh, and I actually drive to my sister's house because it was a couple blocks away from work. And, um. Well, I just gave up the police department, right? Um, so I'm like, <laughs> I, I get there and, and I have about 10 patrol, 10 patrol cars right behind me. And I'm like, fuck. So I get out. I'm like, all right, my plan is to get out and just act like I'm not even like, they're not chasing me. I don't know who that was chasing me. I'm like, I'm just like, gonna act so nonchalant? Hey guys, what's up? Hey guys, what's up? <laughs> so I get in my car. I'm like, Hey, what's up? And they're like, you know, gone, guns drawn. Like, Hey, stop. I'm like, get your hands up. I'm like, dude, what's going on? I'm like, I'm, I'm just driving home. So as soon as they pull up, they walk up to me and they're like, dude, Nick, is that you? I'm like, yeah, man. Like, what's up? What's going on? I knew a couple of those guys. They walk up like, have you been drinking? No. I'm like, no, fuck no, I haven't been drinking. You know, 
the sergeant pulls up. You know, when the sergeant sergeant rolls up, you're like, damn, like shit's gonna go left or right. It can go south real quick. He comes up to me and he's like, Hey man, what are you doing? He's like, You can really mess up your career right now. You can I can take this away from you to give you a DUI, you know, a felony from running away from the cops, all kinds of stuff you could do at that time, right? I don't know if it's a felony anymore. <laughs> a lot of a lot has changed in California since then. Um, but you can lose your liquor license. You can lose it all. I'm like, fuck. He's like, you're lucky. He goes, my father was a Vietnam veteran and he struggled with alcohol. I'm going to take your keys away and you're going to go home. I remember looking over and my sister was there looking at me. My brother-in-law was there and they were just crying and my my niece was there. She, my sister was holding my niece and like, damn, I'm her godfather. Like, what kind, how kind of, what kind of role model am I? Like, I felt like a shit bag, right? I'm like, okay. So, got my, uh, my, 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 uh, my, my, my freebie. I got my freebie and they let me go. And again, woke up the next day and thinking like, like, I got to stop this. I got to stop this. I got to stop this. April 13th. Uh, I want to say it was 2017, around there, 2017. Um, I quit. Cold turkey. That was it. I'm like, I remember being at the Dodger game. I was at a Dodger game that day. And I'm like, all right. I was looking at myself. I was drinking a, a, a tall can. And I was looking at myself like, dude, this is not, this is not me. I was a hundred. I was a big guy. I was just just not me. I was looking in the mirror. I was like, "This is not Nick. I've never been this guy. I've always been a PT stud. I've always liked to work out. I've always had this this mindset where I'm a hundred percent in control. And to be honest, this is not the person I want to be. So I remember just putting my beer down and and just telling myself, "All right, that's it." Eight going on nine years later, completely sober. Have you been able to do it completely on your own? Completely on my own. That's it. Nothing. No help. Never went to rehab. Never went to AA. How much of a struggle to operate in a restaurant bar every day behind it? it? You know what? It maybe the first year was tough. Um, and I wouldn't say it gets it gets easier. You just build a stronger discipline. You build. You you, you start becoming addicted to to your discipline. Right, my addictive personality, right? You start becoming addicted to, to, to other things in life, to striving for success. And I started saying, okay, well, you know, and, and, and one of my mentors, uh, I haven't mentioned him, his name is Ernie Delgado, which is co-founder of Save the Brave. He said something to me, he said, if it doesn't make you stronger, if it doesn't make you smarter, if it doesn't help you in life, then why do it? As cliche as that sounds, right? It sounds so basic. So basic, right? I'm like, really that? Like, I've heard that before so many times. If it doesn't make you stronger, then I'm like, no. He's like, yeah, if it doesn't make you stronger, it doesn't make you smarter. It doesn't make you a better person. And why are you doing it? Drinking didn't make me smarter. It didn't make me stronger. It didn't make me a better person. It wasn't making me a better person. So I stopped. Had you been drinking to that level since you got out? 
it maybe wasn't every day, not maybe not as frequent, but when I did drink, yes, it was to the point of blacking out. It was to the point where I had no control, zero control. And it's something as Marines that you kind of like just get used to, right? When you get out, right? right? Being in, being a young Marine, you kind of like, it's just part of what you do. You drink till you get, till you pass out. It's, it's like, I think we, we all go through that, right? You wake up in the bushes and you're like, next day, like, oh shit, how did I get here? All right. It's just a funny story to talk about. But guess what? When you get older, it's not funny anymore. It's that guy that's like, oh, when he, when he gets drunk, he gets blacked out. Right. You don't want to hang out with that guy. I didn't want to be that guy. Right. You don't want to be that one that's not fun to hang out with. You start becoming the liability for the group. You do, you will. And you are. So, um, yeah, I, I, I quit drinking. I quit 100%. And I realized that more good has happened since then in business. And I made smarter choices than when I was drinking. And if I, if I didn't stop drinking, but when I did, who knows how, what would have happened to me after Calvin passed away? Who knows what I would have done to myself on a drunk night? Who knows? So I feel like, you know, you hear that all the time, but everything happens for a reason. You can't, I mean, again, that doesn't equate to losing people, but your choices that you make in life are done for a reason. And I'm so glad that I stopped drinking at the time I did. Because if I would have tried to quit after Calvin had passed, that would have been really difficult for me. And the way I look at it now is all my best friends are gone. A lot of my best friends, not all of them. Most of my best friends that I grew up with are are gone. And those are the guys I used to enjoy a cold beer with. I don't want to drink anymore. I'll drink another day, another place, maybe in heaven when we're all together, hanging out side by side. I'm going to have a cold beer then, right? <laughs> but to, but right now, it's not for me. It's not going to help me. It's not going to make me stronger. It's not going to make me smarter. It's not going to make me a better person. And to throw out another cliche and go back to when you guys were first starting Bastards Canteen, you wanted to create an environment that honored those veterans. You continuing to drink and to drink to a point where it's destroying your life is not honoring Calvin's memory. Absolutely. So Yeah. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's, 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 it was a point in my life where I started being a real leader, the real man that I've talked about being about. I wasn't just being about it. I was, I was, I was, I wasn't talking about it. I was being about it. I was walking the walk. I was that guy. Now when I can go out, I can, I can say, Hey, you're too drunk to drive. Let me drive today. I was that DD. Right. Um, Kyle would always joke around and say he was my sponsor. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I'm his, I'm his sponsor. I'm his drunk sponsor. Um, but you know what? I was able to now be that leader that I can take care of my Marines. I can take care of my men because I was sober enough to make the right choices. Right. And I can be that leader in my family where now my nieces, my nephews, I have no kids. You know, my nieces, my nephews are my kids. They can look up to me and say, hey, my uncle is a sober man. I've never seen him drink. He lives good, clean life. And I want to be that role model to not only them, but to also all the veterans that we support and we help through our nonprofit at Save the Brave. Right? I can't just talk about it. I got to be about it. If they're, if I see them struggling with alcohol, I got to talk to them about it. I can't just tell them, hey, stop drinking. But yet, I'm here at the bar 
getting shit faced every night. What kind of leader does that? You got lead from you got lead from the front. Lead by example. Right. Right. Say that all the time, in the Marine Corps. Right. Lead by example. Well, how can I lead by example if I'm out there doing the same BS that I don't want them to do? So I, it was the best choice of my life, and I'm glad I did it. Before we venture into save the brave, what's on the horizon for Bastards Canteen? So, Bastards Canteen, um, we have our Downey location, our our. Temecula location that we opened in 2022. Um, next up, we have our Marine Corps birthday coming up, November 10th. So just like our Temecula, our Downey location, where we close down the entire block of downtown Downey, and we host the biggest Marine Corps birthday Veterans Day celebration there is in Southern California, we're going to bring that to Temecula. I'm going to close my entire parking lot. So it's it's probably around the same size of, as, as the block up in, up, up in Downey. Uh, we're going to close down the entire parking lot and we're going to host the biggest Marine Corps birthday celebration in South in Southern, Southern California <laughs> in the Inland Empire. Right. Which, which honestly, this community needs it. When we opened our Downey, our Temecula restaurant, we realized that this place didn't have a home for veterans besides the VFW. There wasn't a place for veterans and law enforcement can go and feel safe and feel home and feel that, wow, they don't just give us a, a veteran discount just because they care, because they want to, and because they want our business, because they care. They have a nonprofit organization that works side by side with the restaurant that hosts events, you know, three, four times a month for veterans. We host um, network groups once a month at vet for, it's called vet work where we, bring together all the veteran nonprofit organizations in the area. We bring, we bring together all the veteran owned businesses. If you're a vet that was looking for a job, um, if you're a vet that wants to hire, or if you're just a company that is pro military and pro vet, you come together in a day we call vet work, which is the first Thursday of every month at bachelor's canteen at 7 PM. We have a sponsor Both locations or just the Temecula location. Currently it's our Temecula location. We will be starting up in our downy location because we've seen how much it's worked. Um, and we buy your first beer. So if you want a beer, if you want a drink, you want a soft drink, it's up to you. You get a choice. Um, and then we, we have free food and appetizers for the veterans. So we give you no reason to say you can't come. You say <laughs> you're broke. You have no money. Hey, that's not an excuse. Just come in instead of calling. We don't call it network. We call it vet work. Right. Right. Vet working. So we vet work with each other. We communicate and we connect. We understand that the biggest way to combat post-traumatic stress and depression and feeling lonely is to connect with other veterans that are, are going through the similar um, battles um, or have experienced the same battles that you have. Learning from each other, being your biggest support group, being that battle buddy that we always talked about. We always talk about taking care of your own. Well, it's, now it's our time to take care of our own. This is our core group. So, um, we just hosted our, our last vet work on Thursday. And, uh, that's when, uh, the essay to master Hefe, uh, Raul Ramos was there and I got to meet him and he's an amazing man doing amazing things for the community as well. Um, we had him, we had, um, um, Josue Barone, which is another by far one of, one of the biggest inspirations that the city of, uh, Temecula, um, has here in Temecula, you know, as a leader, um, in the veteran, world um he's a paralympic he's an amputee and he's constantly preaching um and fighting the good fight to make sure that all veterans um um continue to to live their dreams 
And he does that. He does that through um, connecting with veterans at our vet work and bringing more veterans to what we're doing here. So um, it's bastards can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. We need other veterans to spread the word. And we're blessed to have all these veterans in our community to to put that puzzle together, right? <laughs> to put that puzzle together to where um, I think that's where I met Jess. Uh, from Liberal the first time was at one of our vet work events. So we have all these, this, this, this amazing community of, vet- of veterans that come together at Bastards to make an impact. And our goal is to make an impact not only on, on one another, but on yourself. Because by making an impact on yourself and understanding that you matter, you can help that next veteran and you can help that next generation to understand that we all matter and we all take, we have, we all have to take care of our own. So bastards and save the brave. Um, we're here to bridge that gap between your transition between the military and the civilian world. Nice segue into giving back and, and what save the brave is about. How did it come about and what's its mission? Save the brave is a veteran nonprofit, uh, organization started by veterans for veterans, we're 100% volunteer nonprofit organization. Everyone that sits on the board, we're all volunteer. We all do this because we care. And our mission is to connect veterans to other veterans to rebuild that strength of character. And we do that through our outreach programs, right? During the time that we were um, starting the the thought of, of, of starting a nonprofit. Um, you know, there was a lot of great nonprofits doing amazing things like window warrior project, Semper Fi fund, these big nonprofit organizations. But at that time they were catering to amputees, um, to veterans that were service connected. So a lot of, a lot of veterans, a lot of combat vets, even law enforcement vets that a lot, a lot of Marines or, or veterans that joined law enforcement, they couldn't go to the VA and get the rating. They weren't allowed to. They weren't allowed to because that was going to screw up their career. Right. Right. They couldn't go see the wizard. (laughs) They had to keep that in and they had to bottle that in. And a lot of the veterans that we knew, especially my senior Marines who had experienced serious combat back in 2004 in Ramadi, they, they, they struggled with telling, telling people how they really felt. They, they, they couldn't express themselves. So a lot of, my, my senior Marines were, were ultimately taking their lives and there wasn't nonprofits that were catering to the veterans that were dealing with a type of disability that wasn't something that you can see. It wasn't an amputee. You weren't, they weren't missing a limb. They, they, maybe they had a purple heart, but they were a hundred percent there. They were able bodied physically, physically, but mentally they were fighting a different battle. They were fighting a different type of, of, of disability that we call post-traumatic stress. And that battle was taking a lot of lives, right? They were taking, they're saying there's a statistic out there, a stat that says that there's 22 veterans a day that, that take their lives, right? Um, I, I hate saying that because I want to be able to talk about you know, I want to switch that paradigm and say, hey, there's 22 veterans a day helping another veteran. There's 22 veterans a day starting a business. There's 22 veterans a day doing something positive. I don't, I, 
I believe that if we switch that, then our mindsets could switch and we could be, we can move in a positive direction. But the reality is reality. And a lot of the veterans were, were stuck on this, this world where you get out of the military and now, you know, being a veteran, you have to be depressed. Being a veteran, you got to have PTSD. Right. And how do you deal with PTSD? How do you deal with being a veteran? Well, you drink every night. You take drugs every night. You take the meds every night. The VA gives you. Oh, I need help. I need sleeping meds. What do you do? You go to the VA. The VA is, you know, treats you like a guinea pig. They're just giving you pills left and right, left and right. Here, take this, take that, take this. I was one of them. I was a guinea pig at one time. So at that time, uh, we were losing friends and we're like, dude, there's no nonprofit that caters to just a regular veteran that's dealing with our problems. That's not missing any limbs. That doesn't, that is not service connected because he wasn't awarded by the VA to be service connected. The VA didn't deem him or her fit to have a service connection. So we're like, okay, let's, it's an, we've had enough of losing our best friends, but let's put together a nonprofit organization that's going to cater to all veterans, all veterans, whether you're a combat vet or not, you can still suffer from post-traumatic stress and still deal with the effects of combat, of being in the military, of, of being away from your friends and depression. Guess what post-traumatic stress is all about? It's depression, right? So you can suffer from, from, from depression from many different reasons, right? There's some are sexual trauma now. You're seeing a lot of that, right? Combat-related stress. Survivor's guilt. Guys that never went to combat that just feel like, damn, I didn't do my part. That they felt like, wow, they all have something that they're dealing with. So Save the Brave was our safe place where we got all these veterans together, reg regardless of what where you came from. We put them together in what we call outreach programs. And we say, hey, look, this is your time to connect with each other and help each other out. It's not not a kumbaya session. We're not here to kind of like just pat you on the back and say, hey, yeah, everything's going to be all right. No, there's tough love behind it. Hey, I had a veteran last yesterday, one of my Marine buddies I served with, and he's like, hey, Nick, um, you know, he, he shared a, uh, a text message. He's like, hey, dude, um, hey, remember that one time that we were in the car together and we were riding to this guy's retirement party and you told me to get my shit together? Um, that it's time for me to get my shit together. That's the kind of guy I am, right? I'm going to tell you, get your shit together, right? He's like, you told me to get my shit together and you got to go to the VA. And if you want help, you need to go to the VA. You need to do this. You need to do that. And I gave him a list of things to do. He goes, thank you. He said this to me last night. He says, dude, thank you. He goes, because of that, now I was able to get service connected, um, buy my first home, buy my first units. Uh, I was going to be a, a rental unit. I've been doing great things. Business is going great. He goes, thank you for that tough love. I needed that. Too many times I was just being coddled and no one wanted to tell me what was really going on. And you just told me how it was. And Save the Brave is, is I'm not saying that it's all about tough love because if you need help and not everyone reacts the same to that. But we're a realist. We're veterans. And a veteran is going to tell you what's up. He's going to tell you what's really going on. Like, hey, man. And you go grab a straw and suck it the F up because we're all going through it. So listen to this guy. 
Listen to Joe Schmo because Joe Schmo went through it too. And look at him now. You're all the same. We all went through combat together. You're both riflemen in the same company, same battalion, same battle. So why are you dealing with this? The same opportunities and same benefits that he's been able to, um, to, to, to now help him in life. He's able to get them. So why can't you? You should be able to do that too. You're getting in your own way. So with Save the Brave, by connecting veterans to other veterans, we're able to, to, to understand that we're our own medicine by the power of connection, the power of, 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 of helping one another. And we do that through offshore fishing trips. We put veterans together and some of them have no, most have zero experience fishing, <laughs> right? So yeah, they think they have their sea legs. Yeah, I've been on ship. I was in the Navy. I've been on ship. I'm a Marine. I did some tea time, sea time. Oh no. And when you're out on the ocean, you better have your sea legs together. And if you don't, guess what? There's going to be another Marine, another sailor, another soldier right next to you who's going to give you a hard time, but he's going to help you. And he's going to make sure that you're well taken care of, that you have your sea meds, that... You yak off the back of the boat, not the front of the boat, <laughs> right? That you understand these things because we're here to help each other. We have to take care of our own. And we realize that salt therapy, being out in the ocean where you have zero cell phone reception, no one can get a hold of you. You get away from your mundane lifestyle that you've been used to for the past four years. You left the military eight years. And you get into an uncomfortable situation where you need each other in order to survive and you're going to depend on one another. That is the medicine. That is the fix that we all need is connecting with one another, connecting with your brothers and your sisters that you serve in the military with and finding those common grounds. So now we've, 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 we started our, our nonprofit in 2015. Every month we host two fishing trips a month. We've hosted We've helped hundreds, not thousands of veterans now. We recently launched our Save the Brave Jiu-Jitsu program to where now we're helping veterans on the mats just because we understand what Jiu-Jitsu does, what combat does, being on the mat. You can't fish every day, but you can get on the mat every day. You can sweat your butt off. Physical therapy is amazing. Physical training is amazing what that does for your mind, body, and soul. And what it does when you're on the mat and you don't have your cell phone on you and you have to constantly train for the next hour to stay alive. And if you don't pay attention, pay attention to your instructor, you're not going to know these little things, little tactics of how to get away from this submission or how to pull, you know, um, uh, guard and, and, and probably, you know, give yourself a little bit more time to breathe before the next submission comes your way. If you don't understand these little things in life, you don't understand that you have to slow down in order to live. You're not going to understand it. You need to breathe. And that's what the ocean does to you. That's what the, that's what being on the mats in, in the jujitsu world does for you. So save the brave sponsors, veteran tuition for not just one year or two years. Our goal is to get you from white belt to black belt, because we know that the battles of post-traumatic stress, the battles of depression are not gone overnight. They're not gone with one fishing session, one with fishing trip, one training session. It's something you have to work at. And this is a lifelong battle. So Save the Brave is not only here to support veterans, it's here to, to, to um, empower them, to give them a new 
hobby to give him a new trade of 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 possibly one day um earning their black belt right mm-hmm. and giving them another sense of of entitlement showing them that yeah you can do this you can get out in the water with zero experience you can drop a line you can hook a fish you can tug tug that fish you can bring that fish back now and you earn that you earn that meal tonight that was all you or you earned that submission on the mat because you paid attention to class and that was all you and that again reinforces them right instills that 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 character that we all had in the military and we might have forgot of right so say the brave is here to make an impact in veterans and empower them as much as it is here to connect with veterans so i recommend everyone goes on website and and if they want to join one of our fishing trips or join a jiu-jitsu program visit us savethebrave.org all our trips all our training at jiu-jitsu is completely free zero charge to the veterans and that's what our goal at bastards is to do is to fundraise throughout the year so the marine corps birthday event our comedy for a cause events that we host on saturdays all those events that we host at bastards is primarily to support save the brave in its mission we're not just an, an organization or a business that says yeah we're veteran owned and operated we're not leeching off the veteran community Trying to give back to the. We're trying. We're, we are giving back to the veteran community, and that's our goal, and that's our my goal as as the CEO of Bastards Canteen is to make sure that that mission at the end of the day, we can always revert back to our core values, and if we're not doing this for veterans, then we're not doing it at all. Wrapping it up, somebody who's about to transition out and they're thinking about going into the business world couple points as it relates to the restaurant industry that somebody should really kind of be aware of getting into it with, you know, whether it's the restaurant industry, whether it's, uh, uh, a t-shirt company, um, a gym is having a plan. The Marine Corps, the military, I know the army, I know the Navy does too. We all have a five paragraph order, right? I know the law enforcement, you have something similar to that as well, right? Where that's a business plan. Have a plan before you go into the fight. Have a plan. Understand who your market is, what the enemy is, in other words, right? Your your it's not politically correct to refer not, to it as yeah, the enemy. Yeah, that, right. <laughs> but but it's exactly what it is. But it's exactly what it is, right? Understanding your your enemy, your your customer base, understanding the most probable course of action, understand your where you're mostly likely to to target your market. How are you going to target your market? Right. How are you gonna How are you gonna execute it? Right. How are you going to Take care of the admin and the logistics, right? How are you going to take care of the communication to your market, to your employees? Understanding what you did in the military is huge. The military teaches you how to be the best business owner and entrepreneur that you will ever be. If you can use that skill set and transition and use that, those skills and apply them into the business world, you'll be unstoppable. And the biggest, the biggest 
I would say the most, I would say tactic that you can use. I wouldn't say if it's a tactic, it's, it's a skill that you have to master. It's to learn how to step back, relax and breathe. Just breathe. Just understand that there's going to be chaos in combat. You're going to be kinetic. You're going to have to understand that you're going to lose guys. You're going to lose Marines. You're going to lose your best friends and in your business world, you're going to lose contracts, but understanding that everything is going to be okay. And at the end of the day, you got to understand where the mission is at and mission accomplishment, no matter what. Keep pushing forward for mission accomplishment. But take a step back every time you're doing that and understand it and ask yourself, am I making the right choice? Every time. And I guarantee you'll be the next success story that you will all hear about on the news and Joe Rogan, hopefully, or Transitional Joe Podcast. I wish you continued success and I appreciate your time, brother. Thank you. Number five. Thank you for taking your time to listen to the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed it. Not only is the podcast available on audio platforms, but you can also watch it on YouTube at the Transition Drill Podcast channel. Please subscribe for future episodes. The best way you can help the show is by getting the word out. If you think somebody else might enjoy it, I would appreciate it if you would share it with them. Also, if you have the time, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a rating. I welcome your feedback, both positive and negative. You can also go to the website, transitiondrillpodcast.com, and through the contact tab, send a message directly to my email with any comments or suggestions. Thank you again, and I hope you tune in for the next one.